Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast that digs you out of your backlog before it burrs you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Vinod and Hermes to my Xenos. Okay, hold up. I think we're just about need to talk about this. Wait, what are you talking about? I Well, uh, at the st- you are, you're always picky, man. And I will tell you this. You've been assigning us names for quite a while. I got to tell you this. Matt read about this at the start of the series. <laughs> yeah, but Matt is too chill to be Hermes. I'm sure it's shit not being Hermes. <laughs> but but Hermes is like one of the best antagonists in all of Final Fantasy. <laughs> uh, Hermes is a dope. It doesn't make a bad tag. Maybe I just don't want to be the dope. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's I think he's actually not a dope, but we'll get to that. All right, then. Fine. How would you start the show then? If you're so sure you could introduce yourselves, fine. OK, well, how about the Azem and Hithlidius to my Emmett Selk? Well, that just means you're favoring yourself, too, by picking the cool one. <laughs> I, I reject being called a Zem. My character rejects being called a Zem. Try again. <laughs> OK, fine. How is how would Jared do it? Yeah. How would you do it, Jared? Well, I, I know the pick the exact perfect roles here. It's the Hildebrand and Nashu to my god, Bert. <laughs> okay, that's pretty damn good. That's pretty damn good. I can't, okay. I can't complain about that. <laughs> okay, so now you have to envision me running around the outfit. Just, just you, still you still haven't said your names. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm Matt. <laughs> and I'm Godbert, like I said. <laughs> you, you, that's the thing. Godbert doesn't have an outfit, John. <laughs> Yes, that's what I challenge you to, to envision. <laughs> so Jared here. Yep. <laughs> and today we are covering Shadowbringers and Endwalker, which is a decidedly different era of Final Fantasy XIV from what we covered in our part one mini log. The first two expansions built a lot of foundation for what Final Fantasy XIV is. But I think Shadowbringers and Endwalker is where Final Fantasy XIV gets exceptional. Like this is where it becomes the a phenomenon that it is today. Well, for me, I kind of feel like Shadowbringers, what it did was that it fundamentally dared to rethink what kind of stories you can tell in Final Fantasy. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I think it's still a very traditional Final Fantasy story to me. In the last podcast, I described Stormblood as Final Fantasy XII story done right. Shadowbringers feels a lot more like a classic Final Fantasy, like what you would find in, like, well, the one that pulls on is Final Fantasy three, and that's the one that feels a lot like to me. I find myself thinking of Final Fantasy five because it's just the uh, general issue with like the world being decayed. True. Yeah. Like, rather than lost, rather than gradual loss of elements, this is a world that's been choked by a single element. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see that, but I kind of feel like they they frame yeah. it differently with how the villain works. Sure. And and how they wrote it. Yeah, the Natsuko Ishikawa era, as we will call this, is one of the more interesting things I've ever seen Final Fantasy do. Honestly, it's why I wanted to talk about it here on the pod. Yeah. And then everyone reacting so well to Shadowbringers, they went ahead and they fucking did it again. And holy shit, here's Endwalker. Like, yes, what they did with what they did with Endwalker was they took two expansions of worth of ideas and mixed them together. Yeah. <laughs> they took and not to not to mention they took ten years of built story and available yeah. plot threads and concepts and pulled from all of them. Yeah, yeah. and and the end result is uh, Shadowbringers was the game that catapulted Final Fantasy fourteen to being my favorite Final Fantasy, and Endwalker is the game that catapulted Final Fantasy fourteen to being my favorite video game. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's just really amazing. We we can't gush enough about this game. Before we get into it, I kind of want to revisit a question Matt had posed in the first FF14 mini log, uh, especially before we get into the spoiler section here. Like back before we got into the spoiler section in the last one, we talked about what Final Fantasy meant to us as a series. And I want to talk about how these expansions solidified and a bit like changed what Final Fantasy means to me, at least as I understand the th- the uh, themes of the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. This is kind of related is also to a uh, interesting video I watched yesterday that asked the question of why do you always kill God in JRPGs? And I'm not going to get into that here. It's actually going to be a more foundational document for uh, future seasons. But (laughs) I mean, to me, up till now, Final Fantasy, I think to articulate now, it's the story of people fighting against against inexorable forces. Yeah. Like in in eight, they're fighting against fear, like Ultimatia's fear of reality, other characters fear of sources. I think eight, I would more describe it as Ultimatia is afraid of time passing, of, of change. Right. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. I, that was more or less why my if not yeah, yeah. word is elegantly in nine. The characters are fighting against the inevitability of death, not to avoid it, but to accept it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Vivi's story, who just failed to handle that story. Yeah. Um, tender fighting against zealotry and and the inertia of society. Mm-hmm. And so, so this keeps going like that. And in general, like all of those feel like expressions of the concept of hope to me. And like how Final Fantasy 14 in particular talks about hope is really fascinating to me. And like, that's why it is like that's what Final Fantasy is about to me is these kind of stories of hope. Now, I'm just imagining Xenos in Nagito's outfit. Oh, oh, we can't make God. that reference yet. <laughs> Donate to our Patreon so we can make a bonus season. <laughs> I know. I just imagine Zeno say the darker the despair, the brighter the. I can't do a Zeno's voice <laughs> or or a Nagino voice, to be honest. The darker the despair, the brighter the hope. <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. We never tested your Zeno's, but that's not bad. I do not have nearly as sultry a voice as Luke Allen Gale, so I'm not going to try to do that much. But I can't remember the names of most of the voice actors, so I'll trust you on that. <laughs> uh, though I'm just laughing because you'll notice that a lot of the things we end up covering have parallels in their themes. That was the goal, actually. It's a mixture of a goal and just, you know, having certain preferences in your fiction. Sure. Mm. The reason why I wanted to pair Final Fantasy 14 with Kingdom Hearts 3, apart from the fact that I just wanted to talk about Final Fantasy 14, sorry, <laughs> uh, is I really do think that uh, Kingdom Hearts 3's handling of how it culminates everything works is paralleled very nicely with how Final Fantasy 14 has built up everything and then capped everything off. I mean, the difference is as an action game, Kingdom Hearts is all about reaching that that gameplay climax. Well, the story definitely matters. You can see where it very much has put the, the bulk of its energy and its goals. 14 yeah. is, I think, first and foremost, is is the story. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Now, they now they work absolutely brutally hard to make an enjoyable experience. They don't lose out on that at all. But yeah, because of that, they like said there is a different level of what the story is able to do. <laughs> a fairly hefty amount of the game is just reading in Final Fantasy 14. Uh, if you're not like a daily login and uh, run a d- few dungeons type person like me, <laughs> if you're playing it like a normal person like Jared, uh, you're probably just going to log in every few months to see the next part of the story. And that's totally fine. Pro- 
probably better than what I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really good at doing repetitive tasks, so I'm not really it's a, even Beast Quest would be a bit of a struggle for me to make my way through. I'm actually short on several of them because of that. But you've done the best one, which we will talk about after the spoiler section. <laughs> yes, the best one, the Sylphs. Me and John oh. do savage rating, <laughs> so yeah. There's a really important thing that I have to say about that, but we will get to in the episode. All right, are we ready to get into it? Yeah, we've reached the end of the non-spoilers, and I'd say record time, but I think we were even faster last time. It's hard to talk about anything going forward without the expectation of spoilers, so uh, just buckle up. Spoiler time. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, Shadowbringers time. Hit the alarm. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert. When we last saw the Warrior of Light, they were trying to figure out how they were going to get to the first. They were in a nasty place. All their friends were dead or not dead, and they were nearly dead because of the Xenos and their shit going down Garland. But and Shadowbringers is, is is nearly a Gaiden story almost. It, that's what it starts to seem like at, the, at first. Like, honestly, when yeah. this game was first announced, I was just kind of like, really? That doesn't seem like where the story sh- should be going. <laughs> I remember you were telling me I came. I said because I was playing catch up on on the end of Stormblood expansion to get there. And mm-hmm. you were explaining to me how people were shocked because they really everything said it's time to fight Garlemald. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. By the end of Stormblood storyline, like until the shocking swirl of all our friends are going away. till about five, four, you'd say, wouldn't you? <laughs> four, four. Yes. Damn until, about, until about four, four. Yeah, I would say that all the momentum was we we're going to go fight Garlemald. And then didn't we kind of end up with uh, the the current emperor of Garlemald? Uh, basically giving us a Nazi speech at the negotiation table. Oh, yeah, that was totally there. And frankly, he was better composed to them because he was smart enough to to cheap shot everyone's weaknesses and, and concerns yep. and confident mm-hmm. enough that he could brush off the response other than fine, we'll continue. But instead, we go to the Crystal Tower and we are pulled to another world by a mysterious person calling himself the Crystal Exarch. The guy who the guy who interrupted our fight with Elidabasinos, of course. Yes. And the key point about this is he wants us to save his world, not our world, his world. The first we've had some of this cosmology explained to us to some degree. The world is the source and its reflections and the reflections. Some of have been destroyed by the Asians. Mm-hmm. I think that's about all we knew up to this point. Pretty much. Yeah, we we knew a bit about the rejoining, but yeah, yeah we, we know in the Crystal Tower that the void is technically one of the the reflections that was destroyed we, by darkness. Actually, I don't think we get that until Shadowbringers. No, we oh. get we get at least some details. They mentioned the, that the void was useless to them. Like right. they compared mm-hmm. what happened to the void to what the Warriors of Darkness told us about the the uh, the first. Okay, that he had been, that he had become choked by darkness, and that was kind of built into how Lydibus was saying he needed balance at the source. Yeah. I yeah. think we got a little bit of that through like Unukalhai and stuff like that. Sure, and it is worth noting in the last couple buildups, they've been noting that there's been a strange buildup in the ether of the source, like like growth was slowing down. Yeah, not buildup; it's like stagnating. Is the idea. Yeah, they don't know why. It's kind of like one of those background elements that no one seems but sure about. We had a buildup, but it doesn't matter that much. I don't think in the end about the super weapon that's basically a magical nerve gas called Black Rose. Well, that does matter, but only in the sense that we need to stop the Empire from using it. <laughs> yes. Well, like we'll talk about. I, let's Yeah, let's just talk about that real quick. Like we're not going to go into a huge amount of like recapping what happens. Basically, we find out 
that the Exarch has knowledge of what the future would be. And apparently, if we were to go to war with Garamalt right now, he would unleash his nerve agent and like the, the Empire would unleash it and it would be more destructive than they could ever imagine. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. the the idea is for rejoining to happen, uh, the element and one of the shards needs to be aligned to one particular pole, basically. Like, it needs to be over-aspected in one source. And then a calamity of a similar charge needs to happen on the source. Yes. And when that happens, the source draws the ether of the over-aligned reflection to it, basically consumes it as pure energy. Right. And the end result of that is all life on the absorbed planet is destroyed, and a calamity occurs on the planet, which uh, will more or less, like, reshape the planet. (laughs) Yeah. The, The release of the Black Rose is the eighth unbroken calamity. It kills... Basically everyone, including the warrior light. And what's left is a post-apocalyptic wasteland of sorts. Yeah. Like, because the element that caused stagnation, that causes things to slow and stop, is the element of light. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, is that originally we identify it as darkness. Well, however, there's well, the, no, the whole plot. Not, no, it's not that it's not that we have identified the element as darkness. It's the terms that we use are not quite right. The terms that we use on the source are astral and umbral. They are more or less like conflated with light and darkness, but they end up being like the wrong ways to describe it. The, there was a whole plot point about about how in on the first the the they identify light and darkness opposite of what we do. Oh, right. But it's not like uh, the people like people identify them separately because of their experiences. But in terms of like the element, the main thing is that like we actually find Rianne that charts of the elements are upside down in the first because. Right. They observe that darkness is the element of growth. Yeah. Darkness is the force that causes elements to move. It is like. Yeah. It is energy. Yeah. yeah. Whereas light is uh, stagnation or stasis. Yeah. I like could say that because black wave, black colors absorb all wavelengths, therefore they're charged by it. Light repels all wavelengths, so it protects from them. Yeah. It basically twists the cosmology that we knew in interesting ways and honestly fixes a lot of things that were kind of confusing beforehand, I'd say, in how it develops that. It's one of the more interesting ways to define this light darkness divide without without necessarily making them a judgment call, which I think is kind of interesting. So what we discover when we reach the first, as much as the Warriors of Darkness told us, it's a world that's almost destroyed. The sky is a sickly yellow, white, bright color that never changes. Furthest you can go, uh, you will find giant, like frozen waves of pure, uh, of like crystal, just like blocking any path out. Yeah, it's it's white crystal. So yeah, the the, the sky is always white. Most of the land is gone. There's like this just fragment of a continent remaining, and it's beset by creatures that are basically just demons of light. Yeah, they're they're essentially like warped angels. They call them sin eaters. Yep. Uh, sin eaters are more or less uh, designed to be what if void sent, but angels instead. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Void sent are bursting like with emotion and intelligence. Generally, sin eaters are basically emotionless zombies. Yeah. Like they're creatures of pure instinct. They attack anything around them. If, if you're infected by their lights, you'll, you'll become one or they may just kill you. Let's talk a little bit about the themes and story structure of this uh, expansion uh, real quick. 
almost immediately we're hit with anti-utopianism. First, we're introduced to the Crystarium. Let's talk about that first. The Crystarium like, will initially seem kind of utopian because it's big and beautiful and stuff like that, but it's actually a motley crew of refugees. It's just that when you have your own version of the Crystal Tower to base your town on, it's going to look pretty cool and shiny. Yeah, <laughs> it is a ragtag group of people from all over the world coming together to try and survive against like yeah. this otherwise dying world. Yeah. Now, it's been there for a century, so it's a little more established. It's not just a refugee camp, but it's a very hard scrabble, whole together world of people with the which is with the survivors mindset. Like we were going to make something good here, protected by like the man who appeared with the tower out of nowhere a century ago, the Exar. Yep. Mm. Meanwhile, in, in counter to that, we are given Yulmore. You put the big shiny city on a hill, put it at the end of a cliff so it looks more precarious and just make it this decadent wasteland of the rich protecting themselves. Of all the places in Final Fantasy that have like tried to present the idea of this is one ideal uh, way to build a society and this is the only way we can do it. Like Yulmore is like the most on the nose. Hey, this is what a utopia looks like. It doesn't look that good. <laughs> yeah, it's a big it's a big shiny city being artificially maintained by twisted powers over the Sin Eaters yeah. and also feeding them a mysterious, um, let's just call it Soylent because we're not going to be yeah. that dumb about it. <laughs> it and surrounded by a refugee camp. And there's a very strict caste system, basically. Yeah, you're either a free or you're you basically are given the right to be an indentured servant to one of the free citizens if you can show some sort of skill. And if you don't please them, they'll throw you out the window. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Very literally, yes. <laughs> or possibly feed you to uh, Sin Eaters if they're less if they're less direct about it. Yeah. Um, Yulmore sucks when we're first visiting it. We, we lie our way in there after a guy gets almost killed. We basically steal his idea for how to get in there by having Alphano pretend to be an artist. It, it doesn't. <laughs> turns out he's better at art than he is at being a diplomat, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. He ends out with this with this friend with this uh, couple of the uh, friendly of the friendly lady and the prig of a, of a husband just got a bit of a stick up of zass that's all except for except for his wife who is kind of a custard care design they made a like a larger like a curvier uh, cat woman there and honestly she's perfectly charming for it all it's fascinating what they did they actually like uh basically doubled the size of a lalafell to be able to do that body <laughs> oh god <laughs> potato funny. cats it's a potato cat yep I would say that like Yulmore is more or less designed as a way to introduce the idea of getting you used to the idea that maybe utopianism isn't the right yeah. mentality. This is this is a city fiddling while Rome burns, and Nero is one of the worst you could imagine. Yeah, their their whole thing is that the Crystarium wants them to use their considerable resources to help everyone to help everyone else out, and they'll give them uh you know compensation for it and stuff like that, but. But the but Yulmore wants to be completely isolationist and hoard yeah. all the resources and and keep all of their stuff for themselves. In fact, they in fact, because Vothri, the giant horrifying monster that runs the city, um, he has a connection to control seniors for some reason. He actually resents anyone attacking seniors too much. He claims it's because you're riling up trouble, but it's clear that he sees them as part of his power. Mm hmm. Like, yeah, the whole promise of Yulmore is wrapped up in a bunch of dirty secrets that are clearly being swept under the rug when we get there. And like I said, and just this this I'm going to call him a fat monster because, come on, he is. They drew him un inhumanly rotund and gigantic. Rotund mm -hmm. gigantic. 
Like he literally ha- and, and he's very non-human. He has a face sticking out of his armpit for crying out loud. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> you don't like to see that. He's a snarling, psychopathic, spoiled child that like literally starts just flips over, starts pounding the ground with his fists when he's pissed off at people. Oh, yeah. He has a tantrum several yeah. times when you confront him. Yeah, it, he is a fascinating character that I don't know if we'll have much time to really dig into. But like what he parallels in the story is interesting. Let's go on to the next major thing, though. So we are charged to become the warrior of darkness who will save the world from the light. Yeah, because no one in this world likes the light, so it's not positive. Uh, And it's kind of interesting at this point where uh, in previous expansions, uh, we've had this various thematics dynamic that... Uh, associates darkness with one thing and light with another. For example, in Stormblood, I would say it associates revolution and liberty with light and tyranny with darkness. Mm-hmm. Just like the, that's the way the narrative ends up framing things. But now we have a world. We have a world where it hasn't been night for a hundred years. And as a result, light ends up being a symbol of despair in this world. It's just like this overwhelming tyranny that like pushes down on you. And so darkness becomes the the symbol of hope that causes things to change. Deep in the forest, which is as dark as the world gets, you have the children of the nights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like um, it is a world that treats darkness as a gift and it and cherishes it. And it's a really fascinating, like, look into how another world might look at things differently and gets you to think about things in different ways. This is an important point. This is why why I said that it it really does feel like like the first reverses the roles of light and darkness compared to what what we think of them as. I mean, you're right, but we were still, we were kind of still looking at the uh, the ether elements at first. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, that's going from like the ether elements to the whole thematic elements beyond that. Yeah. And it does get us to think that maybe darkness doesn't have to be all bad, which is a good place to get to considering where it needs to go next. Yeah, we're charged with like destroying the light wardens. They are the largest, most powerful sin eaters and one of each region is basically the light that's keeping the, the, the sky bright. But uh, common knowledge is they can't be destroyed because they their ether will yeah. just consume over destroyed and become a new copy of it. Yep. yep. Let's talk a little bit about how the theme of grief and loss plays into all this as well. This world has lost almost everything. One of the things that always sticks out to me is in Ilmeg. There is a colony of Amaros. Which are basically the chocobos of this world. They're good vulture horses. Yeah. Maybe raven horses, actually, I'll say. Yeah. And but like the first time I got there, I didn't quite understand what was going on. After a bit of story elements, you learn that one of them used to be the basically the equivalent of your chocobo for Ardbert, the ghost that's been following around and was the uh, warrior of darkness that uh, confronted you a few uh, patches back. Most of them are like just basically non-sapient animals. But a select number of them will awaken, basically become they call treat them as one of the uh, fey races. Mm-hmm. And so they like, those are the ones that, that then whether they choose to leave or they no longer have anyone that they stay with, they choose to join this colony. And it's a very melancholy site. Mm-hmm. Ardbert's Amaro there. You you find him there uh, once. And like that, that's one that makes almost everyone cry. God, <laughs> I OK, like the moment I realized what that colony was. Yeah, like I just was like. Oh fuck, that's fucked. I and I yeah. just started crying. Like you go to me, like don't you realize like what if your pets outlived you? Yeah, that's literally what it's like. It was like, what if your what if your dog outlived you and could talk? Like that question just like ripped my mind to shreds when I got then when it hit me. It was like, like whoa. 
So I said, like, Seto, the Amaro, he's sit there 100 years. He never leaves, like, the sort of nest bed he has mm-hmm. because he's, he's living with the loss of everyone he knew and the knowledge out there in the world that the people he cared about, like his owner and those, was in, are now treated as villains. Like, yeah, the warriors of light are treated as monsters that ended the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's a really key point. Like, that's another part of the story structure as well is – the game has you do your instead of like a job quest, it has you do a specific role quest, each one pertaining to one of the other warriors of darkness that you encounter uh, on the source. And what it ends up doing is it fleshes out those characters and also how the world treated them after their story came to a tragic end. <laughs> because the the other than our birth, the warriors, of the lights, their graves are exhumed and they've been turned unique sin eaters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you joined various adventurers to see their past, to hunt down the threats they are, and to see your parallels in both the adventures and in the Warriors of Lights. Yeah, I would say that some of the job quests through A Realm Reborn through Stormblood are good. A great number of them are not. Everyone loves watching Warrior Love Antics, right? Actually, those are the good ones. <laughs> really? Because that's almost tragically stupid, I argue. It's funny, is the thing. It's not like the Paladin one. The Paladin one is bad. <laughs> Yes. Like the Paladin one literally calls attention to itself as this makes no sense. Why is this happening? <laughs> it literally was like, yeah, I, someone just did this all the fuck with us for some reason. Yeah. The Dark I mean, Knight one is the is well, the good. Dark one. Knight is unique. <laughs> Dark Knight is unique because it's about the Warrior of Light themselves. So <laughs> going all fight club. Mm. A bit more well, than that. I think it's more just like you actually possessed a corpse with your dark and dark uh, aether. Hmm. And, and now the corpse is talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you manage to do it again without an extra corpse. So figure that one out. So the role quest, basically, they, they narrow it down to just like for larger categories of, of classes. Yeah. Mm. And it ends up working a lot better for the narrative overall. It also lets you like provides more context for the zones, which uh, you find out also the zones are each like a remix of zones from A Realm Reborn. Because as a reflection of the source, what we're seeing is a portion of what, what what would be the equivalent of Eorzea treated a different way in larger maps than Realm Reborn, which helps disguise it, and also like with slight differences. Yeah, um, so like uh, Lakeland is a remix of Mordona. Just without with a giant explosion that wrecked everything in it. Yeah, and instead it's like, uh, due to the nature of the light on the planet, all the trees in Lakeland are purple. I like that because it implies they're 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 basically absorbing high end spectrum light, so they're like filtering out from being too like oversaturated. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ilmeg is a reflection of Ishgard, or Curthus rather. Yeah. Well, it didn't have it. Didn't have an ice age, and it's been taken over by fairies. Yeah, it is a magic pixie dreamland, and it is horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Every except for the good boy Amaros, the rest of them are deeply unnerving. And I include a new Mo in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you have the fairies. You have the new Mo. Uh, you have the uh, what are the what are the uh, frog people called? I forget. Number it's pixies rather than fairies. Technically. Pixies. But, that's right. Uh, the Fuaf. Fuaf. Yeah. Yes. The fu- the Fuaf are the water spirits. Yeah. <laughs> Most many of the uh, Fae are types of like uh, reborn spirits. The Fuaf are apparently the, the reborn of the drowned. Mm hmm. Yep. And they would very much like you to join them. Yep. Yep. The end of Don Meg is a bit terrifying. <laughs> the end of Don Meg is is great because you have a dapper husbando frog. 
Yeah. Who then tries to drag you down with you. <laughs> yeah, then tries to drown you. But luckily, turtle power gave you the ability to breathe underwater. So <laughs> they didn't luckily count on met, that. <laughs> luckily, you met Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the last uh, expansion. Yep. I said turtle power. Um, I also like the same guys, the boss twice. He just changes what he looks like. Yep. Uh, and then. The, yeah. Oh, another the pixies is, <laughs> and then, By the way, the pixies, by the way, they openly trick people, mess with them, occasionally turn you into a hedge monster if, they, if they're bored. They just love pranks and mess with you all the time. <laughs> I really like the 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 Fae in in uh, in Shadowbringers because I've always liked the really dark interpretations of fairy creatures. Well, these are these are amoral creatures like the, the whatever yeah, morals they have are their own choice. Pixies yeah. don't pixies are are not deep thinkers. They do whatever they feel like. Fuath are 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 kind of sinister and sadistic. Numo are subservient to the point of being hard to trust. Yeah, they're they're basically the, the uh, thinking a little bit more about the shoemaker's elves and stuff like that. But they can casually do some pretty disturbingly powerful things with their magic and they're familiar. So it kind of has this feeling like this is a ticking time bomb anyways. Yep. Yeah. Good thing that uh, back in the Crystarium, there was one pixie we met that is just a Yandere. Just a Yandere, and will just protect us because they have taken an interest in us. Yes. <laughs> and then we made them king. Yep. Let's talk about about other areas. The Raktika Greatwood is I a... I will not ref- try to sing it. <laughs> is the Raktika Greatwood... Oh, it, God damn it. No, no. That's not even the I best known I just can't even do... I, just, I can't go that high. Yeah, neither can I. Um, it, yes, it's the most meme. It's the second most meme song. And is it the most meme song or is Longfall the most meme song? I think it's the mm. most meme song. But Longfall is the one that has a dance. I think Longfall is kind of won the long game on it. Yeah, Longfall <laughs> has the meme dance and ended up on stage. Yeah. So it, 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 basically it's Lahi. I think I just think that Longfall. Let's call it Civilization. Kind of out. Yeah. Call it Civilization. Civilizations, Civilizations had the early surge and it's still there. But I think Longfall is kind of outlasted it and now kind of has the uh the run on it regardless i'm kind of amused that we have that uh the rectica greatwood has the ruins of that ancient civilization of ronka which is kind of clearly supposed to be a parallel to alag it's also a reference to final fantasy V. <laughs> yeah oh. no it, it's always it's worth noting but it's always worth remembering there's usually an extra reference yes yep um, but like, yeah, it is a ref- it is also a parallel to Alec. Be- I think partly because it's implied that MXL M itself made it. We'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> we meet the bunny people there. Yeah, the Gractica Greatwood is the reflection of the uh, why can't I remember of Gradania Forest, the Black Shroud. That's what it's called. Uh, actually, I think it's better than the Black Shroud. <laughs> but no elementals. No elementals. Fuck the elementals. All my homies hate elementals. <laughs> no. And a lot less prejudiced elves. Yep. And and it also has nice cat people. And bunny people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. No weird people with uh with bull cuts telling us what to do. No, just just oddly ditzy bunnies that are somehow the the <laughs> guardians of a of an ancient civilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then there's, uh, well, there's two more lands to mention. The next one is Amarang. It's a reflection of Thanalan where Uldai is. Yeah, like it is a completely fallen civilization. It is still a desert, but it's very like cold. A- a they, actually, they, point out it is, they point out that it is frigid in, in this desert. Mm-hmm. 
because and, it's right on the edge of the flood. This is the land where we can see the the waves of light crested and frozen in place that we're going to overtake the land. Like if I were to pick a best theme for a zone in Shadowbringers, uh, apart from the zone that will not be named until a bit later, um, it would definitely be Amarangs for me. I love this theme. It is haunting. It's, yeah, it's dark. It's cold. Just like the the, the like this just has this this ominous drone to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the music in that one. And then you have miners that live in a city, shitty town called Twine. <laughs> it's clear that there's that they're so close to the flood that that's what destroyed the remainder of the major civilizations. So you just have these like these small mercantile and working communities left. Yeah, yeah, there's still life, even in a place as desolate as this, which is kind of like a real testament to one of the core themes of this game. Just like survival against overwhelming odds. But speaking about grief, it also has the end at Journey's head. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, oh man, that's another one that makes a lot of people cry. <laughs> as I as I mentioned, as I mentioned, light the uh, the sin eaters can infect people if I turn them into them. If it's a slow process, the people waste away. There's like their their emotions lower. They become stoic. Their skin hardens and turns white. Mm-hmm. And at this end, just some I guess you almost say volunteers just take care of those who are on the verge of trans are yeah. fading. Yeah, yeah. People like. And they will uh, euthanize people uh, rather than letting them become sin eaters because that is a mercy. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like a hospice for people who have who have been bitten by sin eaters, more or less. We try to help there only to see a, a only very early in the game to see a sympathetic character get turned get killed and turned into a sin eater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's who. And the final area that we encounter in the regular story before we go to the zone that will be talked about a little bit later uh, is Colusia, which is a reflection of Lenosha. So basically, Yulmore itself is where Linso Aminsa would be located. Yeah, exactly. Colusa is a like it's an island that has a like I'm pretty sure the cliff is a uh, meant to be a reference to the White Cliffs of Dover. Is that right? I don't know for sure, but I refer like to the cliffs that divide the land. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's an up there's like an upthrust mountain cliff that cuts the land in two and like one half the land is like half a mile above the other. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that big plateau, there are dwarves. Dwarves are just Lollafell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um the way I roleplay my character is she is very distrustful of Lollafell, but she finds the dwarves hilarious because they like put on such airs to like they wear fake beards, people, and to make themselves look like old classic Final Fantasy dwarves. I love the dwarves so much. They're the best. Lolly ho. <laughs> ho. Yeah, my character is a Lollafell. So him just walking around without the beard and the traditional face covering made everyone everyone there uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and um, that was very funny to me. And then I think about Lamet and I start to cry. <laughs> yep. Then, but then you think about Giat and you get happy. Giat. That's the best. Dwarven I deck. always said Jayat, but either way. I've, I've always pronounced it Giat going back to Final Fantasy IV, which she has a reference to as well. Yep. Uh, but yeah, there's all, there's usually a reference. <laughs> it's funny because it also plays with the old prejudice ideas. Dwarves are a beast tribe in this world. Now, it doesn't mean as much because because everything's so dire. There's not as much civilized versus, quote, uncivilized conflict. But it's just kind of funny why the spoken races, because they act differently, they're more isolated, end up being mentally like uh, 
grouped together as the beast tribes. Yeah. yeah, it kind of makes the point that that what is a beast tribe and what isn't is very uh, up for debate. And there probably is not a difference between beast tribes and not beast tribes in the first after all. Yeah. Or in the source, I mean, in the source. Yes. Yeah. Well, we it's so clear how much it was based on imperialism anyways. Yes. Mm. Uh, and so, like, all this kind of, like, ties together into, like, the game feels like a statement on everything that's come before in a way that, like, it was really fascinating to me. And the game just really changes the structure up here. Like, we've kind of gone through the worlds, but it's worth mentioning how the narrative is different, especially with the challenges. Like, uh, so in previous expansions, there would be like a side dungeon here or there that is not tied to the main story. In this game, every dungeon is tied to the main story. A, a village under attack by Cindy you're trying to save, uh, trying to dig into the secrets of but first the the Fuath and then into the ancient the ancient civilization of Ranka. Yeah. Uh, hunting down the remaining light wardens and, and, and a deep well and a floating mountain. And then finally we get to the end, which we'll discuss in a bit. So, yeah. yeah. So basically much of the game ends up being about the about your character going around and killing the light wardens, because for some reason they are able to absorb the ether of the light wardens harmlessly. Quote unquote harmlessly. <laughs> and it's clear that's Heidelin's blessing of light that we've had that, that like, that we won back from from um, Zomer. But it is worth noting after three or so, apparently we're, our eyes are bigger than our stomach and we're feeling we're starting to get a little bit of light sickness. Basically, I had too many angels for lunch, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I also want to point out one thing real quick uh, in the last uh, two expansions, like the trials felt very out of place in the narrative in the previous ones because they felt like a here's an obligatory summon fight with a primal rather than here's an important part of the story. Yeah, like in 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 Stormblood, you're literally just fighting primals. You happen to be near. Theoretically, they're obstacles, but they're very much just completely their own individual events. Whereas in the in Shadowbringers, the first trial is Titania, who is who is the king of the fairies who slew a light warden and therefore therefore became a light warden. And yeah. as part of our adventure in Ilmeg, uh, we have to go and kill the previous Titania. And then our uh, friend who is obsessed with us, Feo Ul, becomes the next Titania. Yep. And no one's as worried about this as they should be, I argue, but it <laughs> turns out okay. And yeah. we'll talk about the second trial a bit later because it comes a bit later in this one, too. Uh, like, I was a bit surprised to see the trial come later, but it makes a lot more sense why it shows up it's, where it does. I mean, it's at level 79. Yeah, rather than like level 77. This one is like a fake final boss, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, let's talk about the characters. And now, when, when we talk about characters, you see that we've been kind of holding off chunks of the plot because it's so tied into them. Yeah. 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 First off is the Crystal Exarch. <laughs> Or if you've been p- paying slightest bit of attention to side content at the point that it comes out or required content now that in the game right now. <laughs> and you're good at recognizing which races have different facial structures. Yeah, you will recognize who the Crystal Arc is pretty quickly. And especially when you realize the Crystal Tower is here. And who did I see going to the Crystal Tower? It's Grahatia, obviously. Now, Grahatia actually gets characterization here. <laughs> yeah. I love that one of the first things it. Even when it was optional, it's assuming mandatory now, is you ask, so where's Krahatia? And he just completely kind of just uh, filibusters and blusters on. Like, yeah, he's uh, just like, uh, no one here. No, no, one, here. no, one, no one here for that name. No one here but us chickens. <laughs> but yep. uh, like, so Crystal Exarch is a fascinating character. Like, 
He's a future version of Grahatia that has yeah. lived a couple hundred years after his expiration date. Yes. What we've learned is that it though it took a very long time, the survivors of the eighth unbroken calamity managed to access the tower and they awoke him and he worked with them to go back in time. But he got shunted to the first. Yeah. A big thing that we learn uh, involving him is just like in the future, everyone is inspired by the tales of the warrior of light to endure. Yeah. like <laughs> We died. Yeah, we died. But like our story lives on and. Like that's his whole motivating thing is just like keeping that flame alive. And that's why he brings us to the first. Yeah. So the the whole point of of uh, of the whole thing where all of our friends were kind of falling into comas was that Grahatia was trying to summon us because he knew that that he could get us in some way. But he was instead getting people connected to us without mm-hmm. hitting us. Yep. But I do also love that because of that, unfortunately, he wasn't that good with the uh, magic he was using, so his aim sucked. He just kept hitting everyone, bringing him there. Hey. And he... accidentally summoning them naked, my ad. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, Alice had a lot to say about that at the time. Yep. He's a fascinating character because, like, he's obviously putting on airs of, like, having to be this mature leader because of all this, like, responsibility thrust upon him. And to be honest, he's like I said, he does. It's not like it's completely false. He has grown into the role like he yeah. does understand people look up to him and he respects it. He does his best. Mm-hmm. But but he is also internalized becoming a fanboy of us. Oh, oh, yeah. 100 percent. Next, we're going to talk about Solus and Soscalibus, or as we find out who he actually is, Emmett Selk. Yep. I love that he just out of nowhere to first approaches us. I don't even remember who's like, well, I recognize that face from the history books. No, I think yep. it was Yostola. Maybe it was Thancred. No, it's it has to be Thancred because you're still not in the party yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's like he does say, well, that makes things so much more convenient. Yep. Yeah. So ba- basically we get this uh, this guy, Emmett Selk. We've been seeing him talking to uh, what's his name? The current emperor. Uh, Varys. Uh, Varys. We've been seeing him talking to Varys. And we knew he was and we knew he was Solus, but we also knew yeah. he was an Asian. We, yeah, yeah, we didn't know which one he was, and but then we get the name Emmett Selk from him. Yeah. Yep. And the funny thing is, is that he literally just comes to parlay and say, hey, I don't want to fight you. I want to make friends with you. Because he actually says, like, look, I admit this is our plan here, but you fucked this plan five ways to sideways. You're already ruining the, the charge of light here. So I guess I'll join you and see what's up. Yeah, um, he wants to. And the key thing is, he's by the way, I looked it up. It was Ariane who recognized him. Guess we should have realized that. Yeah, probably. He's the only one who would read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Thankred, like book to eat. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't. Wasn't Thankred's whole dissertation in college about like assassination techniques? (laughs) Well, remember, he got remember, he passed his entrance exam without knowing it by pitpocketing the the uh, the dean of admissions, basically. So. And, you know, and Alphadaw is it probably spent too much time reading the wrong books. He probably didn't care about history. I guess that's one way to become an archon. Uh, But anyway, uh, Emmett Selk. He literally says, like, I want to join you and I want to observe you. I didn't trust him very much (laughs) right out the gate because. But at the same time, he is instantly more interesting than any Asian we've encountered thus far in the story. Oh, yeah, because he gets more lines and characterization instantly. Yeah, they had learned the name Emmett Selk. They knew it was one of the leading Asians along with Elidibus and La Habrea. So he just comes up and says, this is who I am. Want to talk? Oh, I'm just, I'm, yeah, want to talk? Like, you're going to lie to us. I don't need to lie to you. 
Yeah. <laughs> He's also like taken an interest, though, in the fact that we are eating these angels. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I like to put it like that just because I think it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. And like but, like one of the, the parts later, which I find was really interesting, is that there's a whole point in which uh, in which Ishtola kind of does something risky uh, in order to save us. Yeah. She she does a she does a white mage's rescue to take a side villain and jump into a gorge. Then she does that same weird teleport she did in Realm Reborn that she had to be pulled out of the life stream. Yeah, yep. and we we don't have the resources to do it there, and everybody thinks she's gone. And Emmett Selk just kind of shows up and says, uh, uh, "I can do it. I, I can do it." Guys, pop, <laughs> snaps his yep. fingers. She pops out. Oh, whoops, naked. Pop again. Gives her clothes. Yep. <laughs> clothes beam. <laughs> Why do I have that power? <laughs> it's just like, uh, like, yeah, uh, this is really easy for me. I can just do it. And he just, as I said, and he, no one trusts him, but he's saying like, look, I could have sided with Vothry and killed you all, but I'd just be as dumb as La Brea then. And look how that turned out. And, but like yeah. at the same time, he also kind of makes it clear that he does not regard us as uh, people. <laughs> and he, he, he flat out, he flat out says at one point, like we learn a, we learn the nature of the world here. Isn't that convenience? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like he, both him and Grahatia give us like dissertations on the structure of the world. Is it as reflections and as reflections. We learned that Asians are beings that were left over from before the world was sundered and they want to put it back together. And so Emmett Selk explains specifically that he regards us as half men or less than that. Yep. I do not regard you as a lie, so I do not think it's wrong to kill you. He says yeah, exactly. that flat out. He also notes he's probably tempered, but doesn't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's another thing that he tells us about halfway through the game. Uh, that's like at the point that is normally like the big uh, end game line that is sh- shown in one of the launch trailers. In Shadowbringers, they put that line at the halfway point of the game. Where Emmett Self tells us that Zodiac and Hydaelyn, the two gods that are like sort of central to everything, are actually just primals. The original primals, in fact. Yeah, they're 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 primals that his society created. Zodiac was created with prayer to destroy a calamity. And then he people he just regards as distrustful create Hydaelyn to get rid of Zodiac after. Yeah. And yep. their fight shattered the universe. Yep. That's how it's presented to us. <laughs> Before this, we had no real conception about what the Asians really wanted. They were right. just kind of mustache twirling villains. Yeah. We know that they they worship a dark dark god and called Zodiac, and that's it. Well, and their well, we know their goal is the ardor and the mm. rejoinings. We know that. We don't know for what reason. And, but now we have this idea of they are trying to put back the world to the way it was for to safeguard our future for our children. Nope. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, wouldn't you the restore the world you knew? Wouldn't you believe the same? He says that flat out to us. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm not gonna uh, mince words. Uh, Emmett Silk is a fascist, and uh, <laughs> he is a moral relativist of the worst kind. Unfortunately, yeah, he is set in his way that his goal is a noble one. Everything else simply does not matter. Like there is inklings of a consciousness, but he's suppressed it. Yeah. And he also just flat out admits once he get, finishes the rejoinings and gets Zodiac back, he's going to sacrifice all of the people that currently live to get back his old society. Because yep. the great Zodiac and Hydaelyn, a great many lives were sacrificed, as yep. part, even though their power allowed them to even create things like primals without damaging the world. Yep. The, 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 the great gods were beyond that. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's a fascinating character, especially since to go deep in the story. 
underneath it all, he is tired. Grief and loss is his driving motivation more than anyone else in the story, honestly. Yeah, I really forget who, who where I heard this from, but I think Emmett Selk is probably the uh, probably the poster child for the phrase cool motive, still murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because honestly, and, and under all the fascism, he knows it. He knows that yeah. what he's doing is causing untold suffering. He mm-hmm. justifies it. And I think he's at least partly successful, but he is. Very close to broken. He is a man who literally had retired to death before all this shit. Oh, yeah, I think he's in the he's deep in the sunk cost fallacy. And honestly, like part of his the reason why he's letting the warrior of light do this is he there is a slight glimmer of hope in him that maybe there's something else that can work. Like he wants to see if they can, if we can stand with him. Yeah. One of the interesting things we see about Emmett Selk during this whole process is we know he's Solus Dos Galvis, right? He actually heavily implies that he's responsible for creating all of these mega prosperous empires all across all the different worlds. Like he actually heavily implies that he made Alag. He heavily implies and that he made Ronka and all sorts of civilizations that we don't even know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so... As you discuss him further, we'll have to get to the end of the story. So I think we should move on to yeah, the next characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have a returning character. Arthur. Again. Also known as the best boy in Final Fantasy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Inexplicably, there's this whole thing where like, well, our names didn't quite fit. So we had to change them in the world. And some of the names fit, like the naming of uh, Mikote and Lalafel. But he put he just took a D out of his name. <laughs> I was Arbert, not Ardbert. <laughs> Even he admits it was stupid. Let's talk about our ghost friend, because we after we make it to the first, the and we check into an inn. One of the things this game does is it like has us have frequent trips to the inn, which I like. <laughs> it kind of like helps cut the story in the chapters. Because yeah. when yeah. we go to the inn, like we this this spectral figure, which we saw briefly, like it seemed to come to consciousness, joins us here and it recognizes us. And it's our old friend, the warrior of darkness. Yep. yep. And the funny thing is, is that is that right from the beginning, we kind of get the the impression that, oh, he's a warrior of light uh, in this this world. And he and we get some story about, you know, what he was trying to do. And essentially, it really parallels our story. Oh, yeah. They pushed and they pushed and they beat back the darkness. But then they reached a point where the where the balance fractured. Yep. He ends up being almost our conscience over the course of the story. Like, mm-hmm. like we saw in a flashback that Mavilia the Oracle used the ether of the other warriors of darkness. So they're gone. But he mm-hmm. was left behind. Apparently, she was already at everything she needed. So, so he's just been wandering this world half conscious. Yeah. And, and so Minfilia is actually our Minfilia back when, you know, she disappeared it, along with Ardbert in order yeah. to go back and save his world. So those crystallized waves of light are actually Minfilia's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that has created a cycle of the oracles of light, a succession of witches, if you will. This game yes. also has a bit of Final Fantasy eight in it. Children are born with the power of lights, with the with with, with blonde hair and previously blank blue eyes. And they are just the reincarnation of Minfilia's power. And so they get called Minfilia. And the Oracle of Lights. Yep. And so both her and Arbor are kind of just trapped in this weird cycle. Mm-hmm. The big thing about Arbor that sticks out in the mid game for me is there is a big clash with Sin Eaters in Lakeland. In the middle of it, Arbor is trying his damnedest to do anything. 
But because he has no corporal body, he can't. Yeah. Like he like there's wounded soldiers that aren't able to move and seniors come upon it. He like he throws himself at it and just flies through it. Yeah. He just starts screaming into the air. The kind of interesting thing about Ardbert is that I kind of feel like he's a really good device to give us a connection to this world because yes. we don't have a natural connection to it. But through him, because he's kind of a part of us, he sticks around us. We have that connection. Mm-hmm. And like he's always there commenting on things and he kind of also learns to hope a little bit through us and through what we're doing to try and save this world. You can tell the connection with us seems to mean something. Not only is Arbor had this fine identity, the, the Menthilia, the Oracle Light has to, since she is still her own person, not just Menthilia, she's struggling with that as well. Yeah, mm. uh, she has basically been rescued from Yulmore by Thancred, who has taken levels in Gunbreaker. And taken levels in Father Figure. Oh, yeah. Thancred has a hard time with Reen because he well, loved Minfilia. Yeah. Uh, um, romantically. And he he naturally sees Reen as Minfilia, but he also knows that it would be creepy as shit to treat her like Minfilia because she's, what, 15? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and, um... Well, though he does end so, up, like, when he accepts the role of more of a father figure, he also gives her a new name, which is Reen, as you've been saying. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, she meets with the Spearman Philia, who actually basically sacrifices her full existence to give, like, make Reen, like, this is your story now. Like, I'll yeah. give you my powers, but I'm not taking your body. It's it's you. Like, you're the one who's in charge. She kind of felt bad. There was a whole thing where she explained that she saw her existence as basically like a reverse Asian, and she was killing girls in order to stay in existence. So at the peak of Mount Gold, which is the final dungeon, we fight Vorthri, who has transformed into the Light Warden Innocence. Because he, his power is that Emic Salk's prompting years ago, yeah. his dad fuse his pregnant wife's like essence with a with a light bringer and it a light uh, with a light warden and that created Vothri. So yeah. Vothri was a monster made to order. I feel bad for him, but he's a monster. The yeah. interesting thing about the light wardens that we hadn't really mentioned is that they're all named after traditional virtues. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, no, traditional uh, forms of love. Yeah. Uh, traditional forms of love and in in this case innocence is a virtue. But yeah. Eros the uh, Eros, Eros Ilia, Ilia, Storge. No, Agape is skipped. Yeah, oh, Agape is skipped. skipped. Okay. Titania would be Agape, but Titania, we actually mentioned, kept a little bit of their mind, so they still had their own yeah. identity. So, and then there's Innocence. I think the meme about, oh God, he's hot, or is yeah. like the most <laughs> iconic thing. Because Vothry's body hatches like a fucking egg, and out comes the Archangel Michael. Yeah, yep. basically. <laughs> yeah. He, he still has that weird voice. <laughs> the big deep dramatic voice it's kind of interesting in that i guess the whole idea of vothri and innocence is that we we mentioned that he he literally throws tantrums if he doesn't get his way he is essentially innocence personified in a toxic way yeah well it's that also that because he is filled with light he is all um sin eaters are forgiven something or other forgiven like um, different sins there but he is not sin he literally is just this pure creature in the horrible cosmology of sin eaters. Yeah. Yes. So we kill him and we eat him. <laughs> and, and we have. And that was just too big a meal. That yeah. was a straw that broke the camel's back. And so now the warrior of light becomes, or at this point we're kind of the warrior of darkness, becomes the light warden for the entire world. <laughs> and, and the light is bursting out of us. We're threatening to transform much like we saw before. Yeah. At which mm. point. Rahatia comes in, pretends to be a big villain because he's going to take all the light and jump into the void. Yep. But mm-hmm. no one believes for a second that it wasn't just 
It's not a betrayal. This is him trying to sacrifice himself. And then and someone shoots him. And then they won't let him. Yeah. And then, no, then someone shoots him. Yeah. yeah. Then MSL shoots him and says, no, <laughs> this is not how it's going to work. You're going to take all that light. And you failed. Uh, you're going to be a light warden for this world. You're going to tear this world to shreds. But if you can muster up the strength, come find me in the Tempest. <laughs> but yep. he says specifically so you can transform if privacy and dignity It's like says, yeah, I'll give you a quiet death when you before you turn into a monster that will rip this world to shreds. We could have done this without failing. You failed. You failed what I was looking at. Fuck yeah. you. Mm. Whatever hope he had in us is lost at that point. <laughs> yes. It's like this is what he wanted to see if we could do and we couldn't. So yeah. he like I said he takes Gratia with him because, you know, I kind of want to use that tower. That could be useful. Yep. Mm. And so we have to work out a way to get underwater to the all tempest. the light has come back to the world. Reen helps to uh, temporarily stall our transformation, but we don't know how, how long it's going to last. Sooner or later, something's going to happen. Yep. Yeah. So we go and uh, find the this world's equivalent of Bismarck, yep. which isn't a primal. It's the original creature that existed before someone made an imitation of it. Just a sleeping island that we annoy yep. into taking us underwater and yep. also making a giant air bubble. After playing around the saga in a bit, we go to the part that makes sense. Let's talk about Amarat, the city of the ancients. Emmett Selk, with his power of creation, he has created a gigantic reflection, a um, a illusion, a solid illusion of the city he once lived in before the world was sundered. Yep. And we go down there and there's actually projections of of giant people wearing uh, strange masks that look like ASEAN masks and and robes. They're a lot friendlier looking than ASEAN masks. <laughs> well, they're just they're 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 less they're less ornate. They're just simple. They're just simple blank masks. And the whole city looks like a uh, like a, a collection of Art Deco skyscrapers. It's cool. Yeah. Like um, so, yeah, this is where Final Fantasy 14 reveals what it is really about. Like, so remember how we were talking about anti-utopianism as a theme and how it's been trying to like build up this whole idea of how utopias work. Well, what about a city named after the river in the the original book, Utopia? <laughs> yeah, the original book, Utopia. Amarat is Utopia is like completely imagined by Emmett Selk. Like the yep. people here, they have some existence, some vague like semblance of knowledge. But they but they, they talk about an unknown threat that's coming, a sound that's messing with their ability because their ability is they can conjure things out of nothing, including life. Yeah, essentially, yeah. they have the power of creation magic. They can use their their minds to create whatever they want and their adamant soul and infinite ether. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so this is kind of uh, we get the the idea that I think Emmett Selk mentioned that that the primal summoning magic is essentially a corruption of their power. I mean, deliberately corrupted. The Asians, they taught it wrong as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, not as a joke to actually end the world. But anyways. Yeah. And of course, it's a kind of bureaucratic uh, utopia. You have to get your concepts approved once they've mm-hmm. been tested out. It's very collective. Like, they seem to not like individualism with much. Detail. Well, yeah. The, the interesting thing about it is that it almost seems like like they're trying to go for like the kind of intellectual philosopher utopia that yeah, uh, that the Greeks were were kind of writing about it in ancient times. Well, it's it's more that the idea of a utopia in general, like tries to exemplify that idea of, oh, look at all these classical cultures that were so enlightened. Why can't we be like that? Yeah. Yeah. And everyone loves the Cubists. <laughs> and and we, we should 
<laughs> Sorry. There's a running joke that he also seems to have summoned random monsters that just randomly attack people. I was like, no, people love that. Yeah. We should mention that, uh, well, I already mentioned that the, everything is very Art Deco themed, but yes. also uh, all of the ancients seem to have a Greek... Uh, naming scheme yeah. uh, when they're not. So we find out that the Emmett Selk, La Habrea, all those, those names. Are, those are names are from uh, Esper names from Final Fantasy twelve. Uh, no, they're not. Here, sorry, no, they're no, no, no. They're names. Yeah, they're the yeah they're the reflected prophet names in Final Fantasy twelve. Yeah, here they are the but, seats of the convocation of fourteen. We mm. decided rather than calling them like chairman or uh, you know specialists, we decided to give them weird fancy names. Like there's a lot. There's a lot about it. It's a it's a heavy concept, and like when I first we made it to this, we could go world, on forever yeah. talking about this, and I, but yeah, I think yeah. we need to restrain. Yeah. It I'm just going to it. say, like when I first got to this world, I just was like, my I, my jaw just dropped at what I was walking through, and like it was this. I did feel a strange sense of nostalgia going through this world. It, it oh, was it's really fascinating. Cool. And it's just so full of strange concepts, like Hithlidaeus. Oh yeah, so we do need to talk about Hithlidaeus here. That's what one of the shades comes up to us says. So none of this is real. We're shades that someone made this, right? <laughs> yep. yep. He introduces himself as Hithlodius and says, oh, yeah, I'm Emmett Salk's best friend. And uh, but then he thinks for a bit and says, I know all this because I'm assuming when he made this, he probably thought something like, yeah, Hithlodius would notice. Yep. So <laughs> well, I do. Hithlodius would realize that he's not real. <laughs> and, and he also is just like, I see something in your soul, too, that mm. is familiar to me somehow. Yes. Mm. And we've learned a few things like the Convocation of 14 kicked one of their members out for not agreeing with their make a giant monster plan. Yes. Yes. Well, no, it's not so, that they kicked him out. It's that he left or. And then they, they excommunicated him and they excommunicated yeah. them in absence. Yep. Yes. So we got to use gender neutral pronouns because the gender of this 14th member of the Convocation is the same gender as your character. <laughs> yes. We end up going through this whole place and we get this hint about this looming disaster that there's there in some places in the world, something weird is going down where people's creation magic is running out of control and they it's it's doing weird things. Yep. We don't know everything about it yet. From, they yep. say the sound that seems to come from the earth. Yep. Mm. And so we go to Emmett Salk in like a main office. Yep. And he decides to show us the final days of Amarat in a form yep. of a dungeon. <laughs> Oh my he just, God. Like he opens a door, it's filled with fire, and he just Sephiroth walks his way into it. And yep. then we got to fight a, a horde of twisted world-ending monstrosities. Oh my yep. gosh. It's basically, and so this dungeon, I got to say, is the most emotional and amazing thing I've ever seen in an MMO ever. Yeah, like, up to that point. A, in, <laughs> <to> that point. <laughs> in another version of the city of Amarat that is burning and collapsing, ancients running, ancients on the ground. Emmett itself narrates for us how the world ended, how the dooms appeared, oh. how people's minds were taken. I want to actually uh, do that narration. Go for it. The, it starts out at the beginning with, Welcome to the final days of Amarat. We get this idea that what's going on is that there's some kind of mimetic virus going on where people lose control of their creation powers and imagine these horrible beasts and then their creation powers create those beasts in reality. Yep. And as they're created, the people panic more and their powers go more out of control. Yep. Uh, and like this is the whole thing that makes them like just have to rewrite reality itself. The fabric of our star began to fray. And the unchecked energies of creation begat malformed beasts. Yep. Just as, as prayer gives rise to primals, 
our dread made manifest our deepest fears. And uh, we we end up going through the uh, the the city the city in uh, uh, the the city with buildings collapsing until we meet what's the first boss called again? The first beast. Yeah, what do we call that? Beast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, do, does anybody else want to dest- dest- describe it? It's pretty actually horrifying. Um, have you? It reminds me of one of the unknowns that you find in the Gelnica and Final Fantasy VII. It look it's like this this long body with a horrifying gritted teeth mouth and, and glowing eyes, but also extra mouths lining its sides. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, it looks it almost looks like a person. It looks like several people in a cloak in some ways, the way its shape is. But like I said it's just it's just twisted as tentacles writhing on it, yep. horns all over. It really does feel like a beast of revelation. The first beast was striking in its unsightliness. As if to scour away all life, it called down a cataclysmic deluge. Yet even its defeat did not halt the march of oblivion. The land buckled, the cities burned, the waters ran red with blood. And then when we finally get to the second one, yeah. We find a giant ad party of monsters. Led by a giant chicken. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Which is called the Bellwether, interestingly enough. Like Terminus Bellwether, the 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 checker of the checker of ending. The beast bellows and gives birth to terror. A terror which in turn gives birth to new beasts. Its gaze turns skyward, and fiery rain falls from the heavens. Once the fear has taken root, it cannot be expunged. As if feeding upon the horror, the beast bloats, then shivers. Then ruptures. I believe I get, he says this during the phases because this creature, it calls swarms and then it starts a, a countdown to blowing itself up. Yep. Yep. And it's a DPS race until it blows up and it's a wipe. You have to kill it first. And then and then like after we go through Rune City, we're dragged up into the sky, like floating broken islands over a burning planet. Yet this was far from the worst of it. Come and I will show you just a little further. And you will see the end of a world. My God. And like the moment I saw this the first time, my mind just was like. How we were pulled into the sky. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I just was like, holy shit. How is this happening in our game? And, yeah. and there's this pretty terrifying versions of the songs playing throughout this. Like, oh, yeah. It is. And so this song, by the way, is called Mortal Instance. And Mortal Instance is one of my favorite tracks in all Final Fantasy 14. It's like it's a really moody cello and uh, a cello piece with uh, some backing with some some backing but it's just so good every drums with a string chorus it's amazing Mm. and then then we make it to the end and we and we find a mad monster four glowing faces a giant sphinx's body the chthonic Mm. riddle therion yeah the star was fading we saw we had to weave its laws anew but between us and our goal was a final misbegotten fiend. And this thing I said, this is just like this thing feels like a, a harbinger of the end without question. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's literally based on the Beast of Revelation, right? I This is one where I, I, the first beast was easier to argue. This one would be a lot trickier because the second beast, the dragon, those other creatures of Revelation are much stranger. Well, the thing is, is that Therion does actually uh, parallel with the uh, Septuagint's term for the Beast of Revelation. It, it kind of means like outsider or 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 foreign uh, foreign being. Yeah, it's a, but and and Chthonic riddle means like the riddle of darkness. 
this. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, Emmett Salk's narration during this one was from the depths of despair. The last harbinger arose. Its voice was fulgent destruction and none could stand in its path. And as it edged inexorably closer, we knew without decisive sacrifice, our star would surely perish. And during this whole thing, as it says, as it edged inexorably closer, it's getting what's actually you. happening is that it's advancing and reducing the space available to you. And the I, fight eventually ends where one more advancement is going to push you off the edge. Actually, no. What happens is like he will destroy the only safe spots for for his giant beam over time. Mm. He doesn't. He like, does get, but he does also charge forward and give you less space. Yes, he does. I don't yeah. think he ever like completely crowds you off the field but he does not allow you like yeah. he reduces the amount of safe spaces you have it, it is, feels like yeah. it might he might crowd you off the field if you let him go yeah <laughs> like that dungeon we wanted to talk about it specifically because it is just like <sighs> such a amazing and intense experience that like you do not get in a most video games i'd say like one one interesting thing too is that there's a few secrets uh in the interface too is like, for example, uh, the weather in Amarat is always termination. Mm-hmm. And, and what are, so what's the names of the zones? Because they are actually the names, like a uh, narration. Oh, oh man. So it starts out with, and lo, vile beasts did rise, leaving not in their wake but blood and ash. Thus did the first doom befall us. It would not, however, prove the last. For soon did the sun bend low, Scorching earth and boiling seas. Thus did the second doom break us. Yet it was neither claw nor flame, but our very sins stacked to the heavens where they took root, corrupting its halls. Thus did the third doom undo us. I felt that was an interesting one because at some level, Emmett Selk realized that in some way this this catastrophe was was their own sins manifest. Mm-hmm. It's almost admitting that's not as utopian as he thought it was. Yeah. And but at the same time, when you get to the end, he's just like, you find him finally there. Uh, eh, you, you made it. But you're that's still C minus at best. Yeah, he takes out all the scions and you uh, without much trouble. Frankly, he has said everyone. You are already weakened and unable to stand well. Everyone else fights, but he just calmly and casually takes them apart to the point that some of them you think might have died. You can't tell. Mm. And then Arbert uh, shows up like we're we're at the end. Everyone else is down. Reen tried at the end because the light was coming forward. She tried to suppress it. He blasted her. We were we're we're literally puking up light like one of the last stages we see a transformation. And then we then our vision fades and we're in a white space with Arbert's. And Arbert asks if we could take one more step and fight harder, would we take it? <laughs> now, he had been considering, like, when we touched before something happened, and Hithlidaeus mentioned he saw another soul that looked just like ours with us. Mm-hmm. He's realized that from the fragmented world, he's part of the soul that we, we are also part of. Like, we were once part of the same source. Yes. Yeah. So, basically, Ardbert and the warrior the warrior of light that we know are, are reflections of the same person. Mm-hmm. And and as our birds, like as our bird says, we fight as one and vanishes. Yeah. yeah. And he takes on all of that light. Well, no, he Ugh. he 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 reinforces us like he becomes yeah. part of our soul and reinforces our vessel. And now it's holding. Yeah. And so basically he rejoins with us voluntarily. 
Yep. And uh, and we stand up, and at that moment, Emmett Selk is for the first time he he loses his composure because he sees something in us when Ardbert rejoins us. Like he sees another he sees another Amoratine, like another person yep. that's there, and he's shocked. Yeah. Like he almost immediately denies it, but yeah. It, it, like he he's like it can't be not you things like just a trick of the light you are you are a mistake mm-hmm. <laughs> oh and then emmett Selk mocks us says we can't you can't fight alone and then someone calls out we're not alone and as i say the rocking theme of Shadowbringers. if you're reading it at normal advancement as it kicks into the high gear <laughs> grahatia appears behind emmett Selk. yep and mm-hmm. and grahatia opens up the barriers between worlds and call seven other people to join us. <laughs> just just like what just like what he called us. And while I was asking John how we were going to have seven people jump out of our asses here to fight. And John yep. was ahead of me in the game. So he was snickering. Yes. <laughs> yes. Literally seven other people jump out of your ass because that's, that's how we're going to start explaining how we're going to get more people to fight in these fights. From this point on, other than just having friends appearing everywhere, we are going to start summoning random heroes to help us. It's nice of them to have time. And the other heroes are other players. <laughs> yep. It's so good. So, uh, Emmett Selk reveals like his true name, not let's cast aside titles and face ourselves as ourselves. It's going to be our first hint of like, this is what a ancient actually looks like. I'm going to call them ancients just because like that's yeah. I annoying. Well, Amor- Amorot's just one city. <laughs> and, and, like, yes. And he calls his masses. I am Hades. Yep. So there's only been Hades twice in Final Fantasy, to my knowledge, apart from this one. And that is uh, summoned in Final Fantasy seven and an optional boss in nine. And this form is a lot like the optional boss in nine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. And uh, like, apparently that Hades was originally going to be the final boss before they made Necron. But like, there are elements of that in him as well. Like a giant, like a giant misshapen sorcerer with a with a huge claw as well as normal hands holding a, a great staff. So there's one point where he becomes a giant version of himself at the edge of the screen and he opens up his cloak and it shows that he has hundreds and hundreds of um, of ancient uh, people's masks carrying with him. And he 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 feels that as the weight. And this line there is just behold, a sorcerer of Eld. And he just goes all out on you. I mean, I mean, he already called himself the one who would summon his summon his brothers from the underworld. So that's what he's carrying on him. Like yeah, we're seeing uh, the weight like, he carries. Like, um, remember when we talked about the anti-spiral back in our Aaron Lagan talk? Oh, God, this goes all the way there. And I even made the joke. At oh, yeah, this is this like I'm like, oh, God, it's the anti-spiral. Because <laughs> finally, after the battle, he's as an assy and he's still not down. So he comes to attack us again. The others have revived. They come in the fight, the fight. Thancred embeds white orosite in him to weaken him. The others cast their, all their ether into it to slow him down. And it's like they tell us to strike with all our lights. We make a blade of light in the form of Arbert's axe, blast right and, through him. <laughs> yeah, just like literally when he gets thrown right at this massive monster, it fades to nothing except the light pushing against the darkness and then it cuts through. Specifically, yep. we use all of the ether from the light bringers into that attack. Well, yes, we find out later from the from the light wardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we and then him standing there in his original, like an original Asian's cloak rather than the Imperial regalia, like with a with a hole through him. Mm-hmm. And his only request of the as is remember that we once lived and 
I, I think it's yeah. funny that at the time I thought it was very anti-spiral. Now I think he's Lord Genome. <laughs> Mostly because of... We have a bigger anti-spiral? Oh, when we get to Endwalker, absolutely. <laughs> I remember, I went, right to you, I went right to you, John, in the chat because you were watching my reaction. I said, poor anti-spiral. I said, yeah, it's very anti-spiral. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, he fades. We've burned out the light within us, even though our soul had already recovered. We don't know if that we may have still been a problem, but now it's gone. Yep. And the and the and the, the, the surviving world of first is free from the eternal day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Part of the patch cycle through all of this, we kind of get the idea of what Emmett Selk probably saw just at that moment was that he saw that the warrior of light is the reincarnated soul of Azem, the 14th convocation member. Yep. The, the wanderer, the adventurer, the one who stays with the world and the one who refused the plan. I think we, it takes a bit to get there, though, because we also have to deal with Elidibus a lot. And we're also trying to figure out how to get our friends home. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They just speed up Elidibus. We find out that as the last Asian, he's in a he's actually not in a good place because he's not just an unbroken soul. Yeah. Elidibus is the heart of Zodiac. Yep. Mm. He basically sacrificed himself to be the moral center of a giant sacrifice beast. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Meant to meant to put the role. And then. When the convocation members struggling with the end of the world, when they argued as the emissary, he came forth. He summoned himself from Zodiac's heart because to solve conflict day before. Mm-hmm. But it's been mm-hmm. an eternity. It's been millennia. And yep. he's a being made up of emotion. He's been absorbing emotion. He absorbs the hope of heroes as the original warrior lights. And his mind is now without without the I interpret it as without La Habrea or Emmett Selk there as as pillars for him to draw on, his mind is disintegrating. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he's melting down over time. And by the time we finally confront him as the Warrior of Light at the end of 5.3, like literally he becomes the Warrior of Light as seen as drawn by Yoshitaka Amano for Final Fantasy One. <laughs> it's 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 by the way, the way they draws with that with that high realism style is 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 very wild. But at this point, he's he's lost everything but the goal. He doesn't know what he's doing it for. He doesn't know who he's doing mm-hmm. it for. That's pointed out to him. He freezes for a second, but then it's like he resets. He's like, no, I must continue. Like, yeah, there's nothing left there. But a but he's got nothing left but a run command. One yeah. interesting thing there as well is that during that whole fight, they actually give the uh, Elidibus the, as the warrior of light uh uh, limit break gauges yep. and they actually he goes to level four. four and he goes to level four limit break yeah but then in this lead up there we have found the crystals of the convocation crystals of all 13 and then a 14th one clearly written by emmett selk a secret one for his for his friend azem who we still worries about even as he's left yep and elidibus he tra- he traps us in the void he's going to get rid of us like just dump us off there and leave us un- in the rift but and then, then a- we are brought back by the crystal a shade of Emmett Silk steps out. We don't even know who it is. It's an, it's another um, ancient. He, he does a dramatic finger snap and the flippant have hand wave. He does. He has his little wiggly hand wave. He does over his head without looking back. Hmm. It's like Emmett Silk left behind something to take care of his friend who would suffer without him. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we seal Elidibus in the Crystal Tower. In a cool ass scene, my ad. Yeah. Once again, using the theme from. From Shadowbringers with with Grahatia, who is now turned into a crystal statue because he overused his power. Yes. Yep. We learn a little bit more about the history of 
of what happened in that timeline that produced the Crystal Exarch from the dungeon, the twinning mm-hmm. uh, with the music along fall, which is the most hyped dungeon music ever. Yeah, that's a little I don't, to, I don't I don't want to talk too much about that, but that's an interesting bit. And you should yeah. do that dungeon and do the story for it. Yeah, uh, it like it expects you to have done two raid series and as well. Yeah, because <laughs> it's mixed two of them together. Yes. Yeah. Now, fortunately, we have been trying to get the all the uh, science that Gratia accidentally brought to this world back home because they were souls trapped in the first. And fortunately, that research also allows us to take a, a part of Grahatia's soul with us as well, so he can be revived in, in the source. And he actually rejo- rejoins with the sources Grahatia, and he has the memories of both of them. Well, honestly, the second one is just he, he has all the memories of Grahatia, and then he has a whole bunch of extra memories that are just basically like he only had chapter one. Now he has chapters two, three, and four. He didn't overwrite anything. Mm-hmm. It's a little unusual. Like it kind of we see later it messes with him a little, but <laughs> but in the meantime, in the Garland Empire. Xenos has got his body back after <laughs> after shenanigans. Yeah, really. That's what it was. <laughs> he showed up. He showed up in a temporary body and somehow overpowered Elidibus so much. Elidibus shade ran out of his body. He took it back. Yep. And to yep. celebrate, he stabs his dad. Oh, yeah. He basically is just like, I'm just going to burn this empire down now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to use your stupid, dear, stupid poison gas. That's bullshit. Well, you'll never be emperor. That's fine. I just want to see how pretty it is when it burns. Yep. And as he's doing that, another Assian shows up. Uh, one of these Sundered Assians. I just want to say quickly, he says his plan now, he wants to eat God so he oh, can yeah. fight us again. Yeah. Uh, and so, and helping him out in, the, in that is a Assian that's very much trying to be in the running for the new Kefka. <laughs> yeah, I said that, well, I said, I had just said Zeno's had one Kefka from Varus, from Emmett Salk, from, I said he's last standing Kefka, and then this new one shows up during the patch cycle. Van yep. Daniel. His name is Fan Daniel, and he is very, very clearly puppeting the body of Asahi, the asshole brother of Yotsuyu. And he's almost as nice a personality. I really do love the expressions that Fan Daniel gets puppeting Asahi, though. Oh, yes. Just the completely mad looks. Yeah, Asahi already had crazy, crazy grins, crazy stares, and now we're adding sarcasm to it. Yes. Uh, (laughs) We find out that he has basically ter- created a bunch of these weird pillars. I still don't know how they're supposed to be Garlean and make, but they apparently are Garlean and make. <laughs> they're made out of, well, they're made out of a Garlean, we find out later. Oh, true. <laughs> uh, yeah. But basically, they're giant towers that are tempering people in the primals near them and, and sucking up all the ether. Yeah, they're drawing ether to Garlemald for some reason we don't know yet. Yeah, and they're, they're tempering people and releasing primals. And after we convince we, we, we convince a dragon to get over her grief and fight them a bunch, we reach the end of the cycle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it basically is left with us wondering, OK, there's a lot of shit we need to deal with. How are we going to deal with all this? It's probably going to take a whole expansion to deal with all this. <laughs> yes. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the side stories real quick before we go on to Endwalker. First, we do the Eden Raid. If you like Final Fantasy VIII, that's great. It's all Final Fantasy VIII. Plus, also, the Warrior Light makes up fan fiction of the primals, the fights. Also, it has lesbians, which is way better than Final Fantasy Ace Romance. So, (laughs) (laughs) and we got Reen and her new goth girlfriend. Her name is Gaia. And we find out in that story that she is another uh, Sundered Assian, the uh, recurring soul of Logrith. 
which is, by the way, gives us more um, evidence that the Asian names are from Greek mythology, not just Hades. <laughs> Especially yeah. because the other Asian that sh- uh, she was working with, Mitron, Mitron, what his original Asian name was Artemis. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting to like the final part of the Wade series is all Final Fantasy VIII illusions, but not like just doing Final Fantasy VIII bosses. It's like it turns the cloud of darkness into something that looks a bit like Ultimicia. Uh, and then it uh, uses the a shadow beast, the shadow keeper, which uh, is supposedly like the beast that the heroes of uh, the Warriors of Light on the first defeated. There's some story to that, but I thought that was I think we kind of skipped that as I was a little bit too side story. It's a cool story if you do all the role quests. That's what I say. If you do all the role quests. Yeah. Yeah. But all that matters is that it's clearly an allusion to Griver or Griever. I forget how you're supposed to pronounce that. Yeah, maybe I'm a lion. Then you find a junction beast between a important person and some crazy beast. In this case, uh, you fight all the dads in one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fancred is good dad with the guy we've completely skipped the side villain is the bad dad, Doreen. I mean, Ranjit's just a dragon to fight. He is not like an important character all that much in the story. So let's not talk. No, about he's, got, he's got some nice stage. He's got some nice screen presence. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's basically kind of like the weird uh, pseudo Xenos that we fight throughout the story. That's all. Evil, kung, evil Kung Fu man. Yeah, he honestly looks like he's infected by light, but it never comes up. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff that feels well, like it was left on the every, floor. Everybody, after that, anyway. everybody in Yulemore is probably infected by light because of all that mail they're eating. Yes, they, but yes, mail is light is sin eater. It's sin eater. Anyway, but like all oh, that matters yeah. is the uh, Eden's promise is very much a reference to the final form of Ultimicia. Well, it's kind of a giant tree monster. It is kind of a giant tree monster. And then in Savage, it turns into a imagined version of Gaia because Savage is weird turns into the Oracle of Darkness and you fight her to the battle theme, the extreme from Final Fantasy VIII. It's fun. It is so great to have all those themes. And our reward is a giant pride crystal out in the wasteland to compliment the lesbians. And now they have a giant thing called Eden that's trying to fix up the ether in, on the first. I wonder if that'll come up again. It probably will. They call it a garden. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the Alliance raid cycle in Shadowbringers, is pro- it was a near crossover. Uh, it's my least favorite in terms of story, although the dungeons themselves are really fun. I feel like if we knew mo- more Yoko Taro, because both both Nier and Drakengard and all that come up, maybe it'd be easier to connect to. And it is a, a some ways a fun, surreal story, but it's very weak. Yeah, it, like it, my problem is that it doesn't tie to the main story in the way the other Alliance stories do. And that makes it feel weak to me is that like I'm like, I don't see how I can use this. I can see how it could like tie into the themes of Final Fantasy and say show how we can handle near stuff differently. Yeah. But it's like, that makes it more of a complimentary thing to near rather than final fantasy 14. That would make sense. And then we have the trials. Yeah. On the other hand, we had the trials, which were the weapon series. And actually that was really cool because they started out on a very strong foot with the Ruby weapon being a total uh, pilot body horror mecha. Please don't make me think about Goonail. I would not like to think about Goonail right now. <laughs> Gaius has come decides to team up with us to defeat one of the worst Imperials we met yet. We'll just not talk about Varen's much. No, Valens sucks. That's all you need to know. And and a whole bunch of orphans he forces to turn into giant robot monsters. Yes. And they're all the weapons from FF7, which is great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ruby Weapon is based on the personality of Nail Van Darnus, the person who summoned Meteor. <laughs> Um, Sapphire Weapon is Side Guy from yeah. from Oz's Lodge. Hydrus. Hydrus, yeah. Okay. And you fight him in a solo duty where you're piloting a giant robot. It fucking rules. <laughs> yes. Uh, Emerald Weapon. Yeah, it's based on Gaius Van Belsar. And their plan was going to, to use Xenos for a Diamond Weapon, right? 
Wait, yeah, they thought, well, this is not working. It's way too crazy. And uh, so then instead, the personality of one of the other pilots gets used instead. I would say Zenos's personality is so broken. It was eating every it was, these robots were already eating their pilots, but it was worse. Zenos yeah. was just mm. taking over every time. So, yeah, it's a fun way to fight the weapons from Final Fantasy seven. And also, like, it's one of the better uh, uh, stories overall in this. Yeah, it's like guy is fe- facing the sum of his sins, seeing orphans he took care of, destroying themselves and thinking they hated him. And then finding out was their plan along, but it was a plan where they sacrificed themselves. And yeah. it's pretty heartbreaking for him. And then the villain gets squished in a robot hands. Yep. yep, it's delightful. So lead up to Endwalker, we get back to to the source and we figure out how to cure tempering. Yes. So that's a big deal because we already covered the other half of the lead up, which is all that stuff with Funny Dan. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ah, funny Dan. Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing is that's important is like. And at this point, even tempering is not that big of a problem anymore. Like and it's, a lot of it's stuff, difficult, it's training, but we can fix it unless you yeah. turn into a squid monster. Uh, so the last thing we want to talk about before we get to Endwalker is the uh, Shakespeare illusions and elements used in the story. Uh, and so Jer- Jared and Matt are a bit more knowledgeable about this than me, so I'm going to let them have the run of it. <laughs> we know that there's a lot of Shakespeare references in The Tempest, which is, of course, the name of a Shakespeare play in the first place. It's the name of the last zone where the illusion of Amarat is probably about half or maybe more of all the location names in the Tempest are Shakespeare references. They're, they're trying to get you thinking about Shakespeare a lot, but for, for me, I kind of feel like the overall plot of Emmett Selk is in fact, one big Shakespeare reference in a lot of ways. Cause I feel like what Ishikawa did was she tried to make, Shadowbringers into a Final Fantasy version of Shakespeare. She tried to make fan- fantasy gamers eat their Shakespeare and like it. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing. I'm not, I'm going to disagree that like Final Fantasy players would not like Shakespeare, given like Final Fantasy IX is just full of Shakespeare, <laughs> just like as an idea. So, but go ahead, Jared. Well, it, it, it's worth giving a little bit about the Tempest. It's kind of one of Shakespeare's weirder plays. Mm-hmm. It's about a strange character, like a exile by unjustly punished by a king who becomes a, a sorcerer and magician on this abandoned island with his daughter and with his demonic servants that he's captured. And there's absolutely no doubt to Emma Selkis Prospero, the main character there, because in the accompanying short stories, there is one from Emmett Selk's viewpoint, like it's him cons- like hearing, thinking about his past stories of mm. of as um, si- stopping a volcano because he liked grapes <laughs> and considering Elidibus both as the child that they, he knew in the um, organization, but also as the slowly deteriorating primal. And he just thinks how the last time he saw him was was Elidibus just wasn't himself anymore, didn't barely remembered anyone. And then he ends it literally with a paraphrase final speech from Tempest where Prospero says, speaks to the audience about how the play is over and that now the curtain falls. Like it literally, it's a complete paraphrase of it. It's very clear. Is that the, uh, Oh brave world with such people in its speech? No, let me see that. Yeah. I don't know the full scope of Tempest. I just know that that lines in it. Now my charms are all overthrown and what strength I have is mine own. What is most faint as is my breath that quavers here at brink of death. Twas ere my fate to wager all for that which wrought my brother's fall. And thus the aether beckons me to depths of black eternity. To dreams mm. of things long lost and gone and futures which might yet be won. Though not by me, lest you mistake, for 
for others' wake the stage to take. And while their worth is far from sure, I bid the falling curtain pause. Let encore be my final word, their epilogue to death preferred. Hmm. And said, and that is a paraphrase of Prospero speaking to the audience then about how his sorcery is broken and now the world will be facing the, the same. Like you can tell how FF concepts are woven in, but still. Yeah. I, I actually see Emmett Selk as a combination of Prospero, obviously, mm-hmm. but also I think he has a lot of elements of Macbeth as well. Let's talk a bit about Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is the main theme of Shadowbringers, which is an allusion to Macbeth, as I recall. Yes, it's a it's a that is a phrase from Macbeth's most famous soliloquy. It's the same soliloquy that says that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's also a, a a line in the Shadowbringers chorus as well that it makes me think of. Like I said, it's the same. It's a very dense little paragraph. It also has it, that's literally a part that says out, out, brief candle as well. It's just, I think it's Macbeth speaking on how he just heard his wife has killed herself, I believe, is the context of that. Hmm. OK, there's the part of the Shadowbringers where chorus where the where the singer starts shouting. It's a little bit hard to understand, but the what he's what he shouts is authors of our fates orchestrate our fall from grace. Porous players on the stage. Our defiance drives us straight to the edge. A reflection in the glass. Recollections of our past. Swift as darkness, cold as ash. Far beyond this dream of paradise lost. And a porous players on the stage is actually yet another Shakespeare reference. I think also uh, just needs to mention like Titania also would be a reference to Midsummer's Night's Dream in many ways. Well, yes, Titania is full of it. She had like, Titania's ads are literally the very Titania's three attendants. So I'm struggling to remember their names. Like, um, um, Puck. Uh, no, not Puck. Puck uh, is separate from them, but actually Puck, Puck is works different. For yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, Peace Blossom. I've t- I've done this fight many times, but I don't remember the name of the ads off the top of my head. Yeah. It is. I mean, they literally she literally cat they literally cast a really called Midsummer's Night Dream is worth remembering. But yeah, they do. Are the name? Puck, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. It is Puck Peace Blossom. Seed. Told you. I played that fight, which is funny because Puck is a servant of Oberon, who is horrifically fucking with Titania throughout Midsummer's Night Dream. I mean, he is a classic trickster. I do like the theory that if Shakespeare were in modern times, he would be making video games, probably JRPGs. (laughs) Shakespeare liked working to the masses. He liked being clever and putting in jokes, puns and all that. But he also liked working for like the the large groups. That was Mm -hmm. very much his his Mm. his life. Yeah, creating narratives that appeal to multiple uh, thing people like tragedies, comedies, just in general stories and that people of, wanted to hear and yeah. dick jokes. Let's not let's be. Oh, honest. and dick jokes. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the reasons I I compare Emmett Selk to Macbeth is just because of he he's a reflection of that ambition and his kind of divine right to rule over others. He's not really divine in his case, mm. but because of of his nature his his uh, right to rule and lead in that case and, you know, his his own ambitions in in those cases. He's a character that it, he is the main character of history and he knows it and he acts like it. Well, as the English nerd here, I really kind of take issue with that with that version of Macbeth. 
Uh-huh. Like Beth is a sucker. He is <laughs> constantly convinced that fate is telling him he needs to lead. And mm. since he's bad at it and since he w- walked into it, he spends all his time committing murders because he thinks that everyone around him is after him. So what you're saying is that he's a perfect analog for Emmett Selk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. in some ways, it's, in some ways, Sorry. in many ways, Emmett Selk has the short sightedness and late and too late regret of King Lear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment there with uh, with Macbeth, though. It's I'm just saying that Macbeth has a lot of ambition and that is the way that people the that is the reason why he's a sucker the ambition is what blinds him so what you're saying is that he's a perfect analog for him itself <laughs> <laughs> sorry are we, just I, I keep, keep, are we just gonna keep looping this yes yeah. <laughs> so i know that there's a lot of people out there that really like Emmett Selk in a very once style fashion but <laughs> i i love him as a villain because i oh, very much he is an amazing villain do you remember my description of like him and 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 vothry Go ahead. Go ahead. I believe it was like I pitied Vothri, but I didn't emphasize with him. I emphasized Emmett Selk, but I didn't pity him because and, and because of that, both of them were creatures too dangerous to outlive with the power they had. Yeah. Yeah. With all that, then the build up to Endwalker, uh, we kind of didn't touch on the last bit of what Van Daniel claimed that his goal was. And that's kind of what leads us into Endwalker. He wants everything to die. He tells us as much. Mm. He he. Comes to us with a like he has basically said that what the previous Asians wanted to do was do the rejoining to just like bring their world back. And he tells us he doesn't give a fuck about that because he's not he he is not the original unsundered. Uh, well, that you're uh, getting ahead of yourself. Yeah. Well, he well, we do know that he is a sundered person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because only the original three were unsundered. Lahabrea and Emmett Selk and Elidibus. And Elidibus as a technicality of being the pure primal. Whoever Fan Daniel is, he died and was reincarnated in some way. He does not have the memories of mm. of the original uh, Fan Daniel, and so well, therefore he's no, he does. Not, he, he does. He, does, have does. he explicitly does. I will mm. say that comes in later. At this point, what we know yeah. is yes. he doesn't believe in the he doesn't believe in the goal. When yeah, he realizes yeah. Elidibus doesn't appear to be coming back. He's elated that he's been freed from the dusty old men and their plans. Yeah, I was going to say that actually it turns out that Fan Daniel is more dangerous, even though he's less powerful than the Paragons. Simply because. Well, all the Asians are Paragons. Paragons is another term for Asians, uh, right? It kind of slowly became the the Unsundered, though any of them can be called Paragons. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Because I remember talking to you, Matt. I I finished 5-3 before you for once. Mm-hmm. And basically, I would say I realized as I was trying to figure out where the plot could go next. And as you were playing again, this I realized what I forgot. I forgot what a vacuum leads to. Yep, it, it leads to the it leads to the ones without goals, the ones with with no limits. Yeah, the ones yeah, who just yeah. want to break everything and tear everything down. Yeah, it, it, we we go from super boo to kid boo. <laughs> yeah, Fan Daniel is way more dangerous because he does not have any motivation or desire to save anything or preserve anything. Mm-hmm. All he wants is destruction. Yeah. And he creates a group he calls the Telephoroi. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, Telephoroi. 
I think they made up their word, but it appears to be kind of squishing ancient Greek together to meet Embringer. <laughs> All you need to know is that he is getting people, he is forcibly summoning primals by just like strapping people into towers. It's pretty yeah, gross. Yeah, we mentioned the towers. He makes a feathery Bahamut that looks like the one from FF8. <laughs> yep. And I know we talked about this. We are definitely going over ground to some degree again, because I mentioned we mentioned how we freed Tiamat from Sundering and from her prison. And so, yeah, we're not going to go over into all that anymore. I just wanted to, like, set the stage for what we go go into as we start Endwalker. Yeah. As in the final in the final moments, the final patch, we all look at the moon for some reason. And then Shadowbringers plays. (laughs) 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 Sorry, that is my absolute favorite moment in Shadowbringers, just as a pure absurd moment. It's just like. Everyone stares at the moon for no good reason. And then the Shadowbringers leave place. Yeah. <laughs> they must have seen the trailer because oh, yes. we knew. We knew we the knew. moon was involved. And boy, were we elated. But there's no reason for the characters. Yep. Ed Walker. So we begin in uh, Mordona with all the scions just like, OK, we have finally received our go ahead to go visit mm-hmm. old Charlian. Yeah, because, you know, the twins dad showed up, disowned him, made the entire fandom hate him. And then we decide we go over anyways. Well, yep. fortunately, we have an in with the uh, students of Baldessian, thanks to our good friend, Kryle, who mm-hmm. is finally getting some stage time, even though she doesn't get to be central in the character lineup. <laughs> I feel like she should be a more important character than she is. <laughs> I heard that in 6.0, she's going to be a major 7.0. driver of things. Or 7.0. 7.0. 7.0. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, she got she got her invitation to smash. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. So we head to Old Charlian. Uh, we've also picked up a Dragoon on the way. Asinian is now permanently a member of the Science of the Seventh Dawn. Yeah. The one last hook we didn't mention is that we had started hallucinating a woman in the last oh, yes. match or two. Yep. yep. And, like on the, and on the long, slow boat ride to Charlian, uh, she appears before us. Yep. And she... And it's like, oh, hey, it's Heidelin. <laughs> Months of speculation. I remember us arguing this one. Yeah, like, oh my gosh. I was like... I'm like, they can't just like reveal it right out the gate, can they? They sure as fuck can. <laughs> well, even before even before that, like her appearing, I was like, that's too easy an answer. Maybe it's something else. Yeah, yeah. No, it's Heidelin. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, interestingly here, the Warrior Light, no matter how you choose responses, is pretty darn suspicious of Heidelin. Mm-hmm. Like they're stung by the fact they understand that she's a primal. What I, my character was more is like struck by is all like, like, why now? What what took you so long to get back to me? That's what that's why that's why I went with the why are you coming to me now line rather than the I can't trust you anymore because let's be clear my character still trusts uh, Heidelin way more than anything Emmett Selk said. <laughs> there was a a whole subplot in the Shadowbringers patch cycle where we go and find out more about how Heidelin was created in an analogous way to Zodiac. And that somebody named Vina is the core of Heidelin in the same way that Elidibus was the core of Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've we've had many discussions how we play our characters. My character keeps things light, but is very much of a observant type. So, yeah, mm-hmm. because I made him tiny and gave him a mustache. So he has to be silly. My character was slightly suspicious of uh, of Heidelin, but still trusting because Heidelin has done a lot for for well, our characters. I don't know if I would say that yet from what we could tell right out the gate there. Like we knew about the blessing of light, but we also are like, what is it actually a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's been an ongoing speculation that it was maybe it was its, its own form of tempering. Of, well, tempering. Okay. Yeah. Well, so and I know that I know that some weird translations or early stuff suggested it was similar. Like, oh, you've been claimed already. And now that we heard that she was a primal, I know the suspicion got even greater. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. So before we get on to like the whole on recap, because we're going to use the story structure discussion to cover that. uh, Let's talk a little bit about the core themes of this game and what it introduces. (laughs) Since Endwalker is a send off to everything that came before. Ten years. Ten years of story. It is also everything. It is every theme the story has covered up till now. Turn to 11. (laughs) (laughs) We start with the we start with hope and despair, but luckily there's no bear to argue with. We can't make that reference yet. See this bonus season. It's funny <laughs> if we that get, I never if we get to make it. This game, this is the expansion. Just like pulls back all the like thematic veneer of like, oh, it, what is hope and what is despair? What is light? What is dark and all that? No, it's just like this is very explicitly light is hope, dark is despair. Yeah. That is what it's. That is the core metaphor that it's going for this time. Yeah, but it's not like the literal elements. It's just that that's the forms it's taking. Right, and the and game, we knew, and again, we knew that the that the. The materials, the promise, Van Daniel's plan is we knew the end days from from Amarat were coming. Yeah. During the course of the story, uh, we start to learn that there is another side to how Aether works that uh, is like not very w- widely studied. Well, something. Yeah. No, it's not part of Aether. It's explicitly a separate material. But it can well, affect Aether. Yeah. It's the it's the weak nuclear force, the Aether's strong nuclear force. Yeah. Well, mm. it's dark. No, it's dark energy. Is because it encompasses way more of the universe, but is like we can't uh, like have any way to observe it. It goes through a, it goes through a few names. I'm trying to remember what the name Akasha is the first one. Akasha is the first name we hear of it. And then we eventually learn the name Dynamis, <laughs> which is what the ancients called it. Yeah. And I've seen so much debate over it, over whether it's an asshole and like, no, this is them using a idea to explain certain things that have happened throughout the story in a interesting way to add a emotional side to magic. That is what it is. It's sewing the details together. It's welding yes. together the bits yeah. of the art. It's not an ass pull because they make sure that they actually explain a lot of things that happened in the past with it. Yep. Even mechanical things. Dynamis is an ancient Greek word that can mean heart, drive, spirit, basically anything of that sort. And it is the energy of emotion. And logic bros hate it. <laughs> Learning limit breaks the one trick. Logic bros hate this trick. Yes. Um. So I've there's one uh, more YouTuber that sort of like filled the void after Ethis Asher went off to do, go do NFTs. Uh, mm. <laughs> um. And I don't like his stuff nearly as much as Ethis's because he's just more like put, pushing an agenda rather than just analyzing things. And the big thing that is like his agenda is he hates Dynamis and thinks it should go away. <laughs> And like, it's trying to explain everything with Aether rather than Dynamis. And I'm like, bro, you're doing the exact same mistake all the Aetherologists are doing in story. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. You, you will. You will also fall and no longer be allowed to fly. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so and w- just keep a, keep that in mind, though. This story is asking you to take to make an emotional connection to things but like through its very themes. Yeah. And, and right from the from the story trailer, the light in the darkness was always the points. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what we're going to see. And I think we've kind of scare shot around this enough that maybe we should start getting to the story. Yeah, let's yeah. get to the story structure. So there is a Japanese story structure called Kisho Tenketsu. So Kisho Tenketsu is a four act story structure in contrast to the what you typically get in screenwriting called the three act structure. In the three act structure, you have a you have the beginning, you have the and at the end of the beginning, there is a twist that gets you into the middle and then that has another twist that'll take you to the end. That's the core idea. Kisho Tenketsu it, uh, has a introduction, an elaboration. The third act is a twist, 
And then the final act is the resolution as a result of that twist. A lot of Eastern writing, especially Japanese writing, uses this in as basically as much of a trope as the Western three act structure uh, resounds in ours. There is a Japanese three act structure as well, by the way. Uh, mm. The Japanese three act structure, Jyohaku, is a concept of movement that it can also be applied to stories where Jo means beginning. No, uh, very specifically, it like so Jo means slow, then speed up, and then finally you end swiftly. So Jo mm. is slow, Ha is speed up, Q is swift. Mm. So, and you'll notice that like as a very common like way Japanese movement tends to be, where you have a build. No, Kabuki, Joruri, apparently the traditional drama sets of Japanese theater love using that. Yeah. So what are the what are the names for the four acts of Kisho Tenkets? So you have Ki, the start or introduction. Sho, handling, process, elaboration, or building on hardships. Ten, which is the turn, the turning point, or a twist. And Ketsu, which is the result. And then if you're reading or watching Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei, there's a secret fifth act called Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> which, involves, which involves hemorrhoids on the, uh, on the uh, Yaoi story. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> it's terrible. So, oof. Uh, that, yeah, is sorry. A, that is I, one messed up writer. Yes. I applaud, I applaud him, but he's messed up. So, uh, so I think I noticed about Final Fantasy XIV is that it uses that structure and ties each act to one of the expansions which I found to be really fascinating. So the first act uses Heaven's Word as its core basis. Yeah, we're, we get to Old Charlie and we're immediately um, paralyzed by government and bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, old Charlian is a fancy old city run by elves, kind of like Ishgard. <laughs> and it's a, as, opposed to, as opposed to a um, Vatican City, it's more like a gigantic college town. Yeah, Old Charlian uh, is a old city run by elves, Kind of like Ishgard. Lots of bureaucracy, kind of like Ishgard. But instead of being run by the church, it's run by knowledge, which sort of like is an inversion of Ishgard as well. One thing that I think is interesting about N. Walker is that it's asking us to look back at a lot of the things we're doing and see how essentially going to the other extreme can also be uh, be a, a vice. I don't know if I would say it's like asking us to look at it that way. I think it's what it's doing is it's asking us to think about everything we've seen till now and like connect it in these ways. Yeah. Which is why like the first things we're introduced to are Old Charlian and Thavnir, the other region. And Thavnir ends up being an interesting parallel to Dravania, as it turns out. Thavnir, we've kind of known about it throughout the story because its name keeps coming up. It's kind of like fantasy India. <laughs> Very much so to the point that they that's where the um, elephant beast tribe comes from. Yeah, the Arca Sadara. Mm-hmm. They end up paralleling Dravania because their leader is also what a Midgard Stormer's brood. Mm. Yeah, though, though it's hidden six, at first. Yeah. I believe we find our way into it pretty quickly. We do. But we yeah. find out that while there is a satrap that runs the city, isn't that an Indian term? By satrap the way? is the term. Like a British India term in its own way. Like the satrap is the ruler of Fabnir in, in the context of this world. Uh, it might be a term borrowed from the real world. It probably is, considering what every, everything else Final Fantasy XIV does. Right. And we, but we find out the Satrap is a hereditary position for the attendant to the great worm Vritra. Yep. Mm. And Vritra is a cool dragon who just wants to be friends with people, as a reflection of Nidhogg, who is a terrible dragon who hates people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and there's Felger, who is an irritable dragon who wants to be left alone by people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting how Thavnir turns out to be basically itself a opposite reflection of Ishgard that is a, well, a hopeful version. Yeah. Well, Vricha is the is the I want to give a little bit about Vricha here unless you want to save it for later. No, let's talk, we, let's save it a little bit for later, but you can say a little bit right now. Well, it's basically he is explicitly the youngest of the seven great worms. So he was the one that possibly had the least built in like prejudices. And yeah. he still took him centuries of just using this place as a hiding spot to realize how much he cared for the people of it. And I definitely want to get more into that with time. Yeah, his arc is the opposite of Nidhogg's. I think in the patch cycle, we'll be able to talk about his sister as well. Oh, yeah. Ends up being a parallel to Freysilger. But we'll get to that later. Well, when we first went to Old Charlie and we're trying to find information, we go to Thavnir to try to investigate Van Daniel's tower, see what we can do about them. Yep. And that's where we also learned uh, that Van Daniel used to be Amon. So when we did the Crystal Tower, there was this one mini boss called Amon. <laughs> yeah. Another reference of Final Fantasy three. He was kind of like the right hand band of Emperor Zand. Yeah. Zande. But yes, he's essentially the right hand man and the the technology guy for yeah. for ancient Alag. I mean, it's tech based, but he is very much the feel of Court Wizard. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, court Wizard slash uh, technological genius. And like. What they kept noticing is just people in Alag uh, kept, like, relying on the technological innovations and not giving a shit about, uh, like, the world. Like, they, there's this, like, idea of people giving way to nihilism be- and, like, all that because of all the technology innovations that they had. Yeah. So we find that Amon, he actually brought back the long-past emperor in hopes of making a better empire, like extending it. But the emperor was bored and a little broken by his death and experience. So, yeah. And mm-hmm. like it just instills in Amon uh, a just sense of there is no meaning to life. Yeah. In fact, like I said, when the empire falls, we see that I believe Emmett Selk reaches out to him saying, look, you're important. You're one of our convocation. I need to restore your memories and your in your identity. And Amon wasn't really having it. Yeah. Mm. He never he even says he doesn't feel the memories given are his. He still feels that's not his identity and he has no love for them. I also just want to quickly say, just as a cool little performance note, there's an interesting moment in the Thavnir bit where a fan Daniel's voice actor changes from Asahi's voice actor to a new one, uh, just like in the middle of a line. It's pretty smooth. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because they're going to use Asahi's voice actor later. <laughs> When we go into one of these towers, he kidnaps our new friend, one of the best elephants in the world. Uh, Stuffs her in the tower, which. mm. And so now it becomes a we have our first rescue mission. Climb the Tower of Zot, as it's called, because it's a Final Fantasy IV reference to save all the people in there and figure out how to destroy these towers for good. And I believe Richa has directly um, charges to try. Yeah. At the same time, they're actually working on what we do, the permanent solution, the tempering. The yep. like shielding scales that are created here finally save people from because we were actually testing with Van Daniel grabs us. So it's kind of worth noting that little parallel. Um, the war over the Dragon Song War started due to eyes being stolen. We were able to protect against tempering because dragon scales are given to us freely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we also as that Anne is Anne is given to just the world's most enthusiastic science group. Yep. Yes. Uh, the great work. I love. If, I, I need to just gush about Thavnir for a moment, by the way. It is the best place in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it is my, like, it is my current headcanon that my uh, that my character is a 
or uh, originally from Thavnir, and she like finally realized it when she got back there. <laughs> the, I mean, I'm running a potato. I have no idea where he should be from. I don't want it to be Olda. He's not a capitalist. Yeah, I like the. Where else are they from? I like that that Thavnir is kind of it's presented as a melting pot in the best possible way. Yeah, yeah. Like um, people from all over the world come to do trade to be artisans. It has the best food because it has Indian food. <laughs> uh, it is beautiful, just like gorgeous all over the place. The architecture is beautiful. They have just amazing aesthetic sense. And they also have a lot of interesting gods that they worship. Unfortunately, we have to fight those gods for the Tower of Zod because it's also a Final Fantasy IV reference. <laughs> yes. We're going to fight the Mega Sisters. And I guess at least they're not the weird insect armor versions from 10. So huh. let's also talk, quickly talk about the marketing cycle here of... Uh, this game because this This is is the first thing this this game was evil in its marketing i have not seen a game a big budget game this devious in its marketing since middle gear solid 2 well they they played so many of their cards really close to their chest it was really cool do you mind if i i feel i can say just directly well they showed us in the trailer scenes with no context they didn't let us on to a single bit of the story before that would be past level 83 out of 90 by the way yeah, well, I'll 80 to 90, yes. So when they first were talking to us about these are the primals that you're going to be facing, they didn't lie about them being primals, but everyone assumed they would be trials. <laughs> they have been up till now. The yeah. only difference was they get Shadowbringers. No one was something primal. So we just had the Light Wardens, which yeah. is basically just a type of primal. But instead, mm-hmm. these primals end up being our dungeon boss. Hmm. Weird. <laughs> yeah. We were also promised the, the great primal anima, like one of the more threatening ones and that's we'll go talk about that next uh after in a bit we got to talk about a bit of more stuff first yeah uh, um but so like when it was first revealed that the magus sisters were dungeon bosses and not uh okay. trials like my thought was oh are we gonna just like have a is there gonna be another trial where involving them somehow is that what's gonna happen no. I, I i i was like completely blindsided with what they did <laughs> yep. uh, but like yeah. so what what ends up happening though is not only has the dungeons now become monumental to the story but dungeon threats in the, at, at this level are things that have just been trials before yeah primals and beings created in some levels can just appear in dungeons now yeah yeah uh and i mean we kind of got that sense with the lunar bahamut in the last dungeon but i was not ready for that kind of idea shift yet and I did, I did like now that I look back at it, I'm like, man, they were smart in the design of this game. Like, mm. this is one of the reasons why I like Endwalker more than Shadowbringers is just like the sheer amount of craft that went into making every little detail like this. I just am blown away by. So after so once we once we get to the top of the Tower of Zod and destroy the primal up there, the tower just essentially disappears. No, it's not that it disappears. It's that it collapses. It, co- yeah. it, it collapses after we destroy its core. Thanks to Ascidian. Yeah. yeah. Well, fortunately, like we're able to save all the prisoners in it. And between the shielding and the cure for tempering, we'll be able to save them. But that also means it was a difficult task. Just destroying the towers is a very risky plan, we realize. But we we still have now given people around the world a way to deal with the towers and the tempering, which means we're now able to take the fight to Garlemald itself and and we enter Act 2. Oh, boy, do I love um, the task force scene. Oh, boy. I was just going to say, it actually turns out that we don't actually have to take the fight to Garlemald. Garlemald has already fallen. We get the, the message that it's done. 
Like, well, we did know that Garlemald is kind of like fallen already. Because Something bad this, happened. The Civil War happened. The entire country has been devastated. But these towers are a thing that we needed to deal with first. We know that Astinian gave reports of the assassination of the emperor, that things are going to hell, that different yeah. factions were rising up and being destroyed suddenly, like that Xenos was doing shit. Yep. But we really don't know. But I would take a moment to start. Like, we start with just this really great buildup scene where just a large assortment of characters we've met, characters we knew about, have all just joined together to make this to make this multinational incursion force that's going to take the fight. The Ilzebard contingent. Yeah, it's essentially the coalition to save the world. <laughs> Not save the world, just it's it is a it is a peace envoy to uh Garlemald. The whole purpose of it is to like provide aid to the people of Garlemald and like hopefully bring them out of their uh, struggles. And Ishgard sent their best idiot to help. <laughs> and he gets a boyfriend. <laughs> Sorry, I, I am deeply amused by Emma yeah. and Sicard. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about him much. He's the half brother of uh, Harshfault. And he's Harshfault. not a yeah, I'm bad name spot pronunciation. And while he's not a bad person, he's kind of a spoiled, dumb kid who doesn't know what he's getting into. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's getting a bit more granular than I want for this. But the point is, like, uh, with the Ilzebar contingent, characters from side stories that you've done show up. Characters from the role, characters from the the class quest lines, not just the job, but the class quest lines return. And this is as like it's like some of the uh, thaumaturge uh, show. Yeah, um, like Ulda sends th- sends some of their thaumaturges. Um, Freaking Doma brings along several of the uh, Zela from the steps. Oh, that too. Yeah. We get, we get oh yeah, we brought we, get, we brought our best fighting idiots. Yes. <laughs> like no, no, it's it's great. They sent Magni, but I assume they want him dead. They sent yes. they sent Magni, Sadu, and Sirena. My theory is they sent Magni. Someone wants him dead. They sent they sent uh, Sadu because they they'd be afraid she she afraid she kill him, but she didn't get to go to fight. And Sirena came to watch her new girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> Um, her and Sadu have big energy in this one. Yeah, uh, and you missed your chance. <laughs> There's a big scene where you're uh, marching w- up to Garlemald with the the Ilsebard contingent, and so, you're an arm, you're an arm, yeah, you're an armored c- column fighting your way through heavy um, threats. Yeah, like yeah. you. Uh, meanwhile, th- you also get to be Thancred doing a Metal Gear Solid mission, and this suddenly becomes the Metal Gear Solid expansion. <laughs> and the meme I forgot because this is Thancred. <laughs> yeah, but like, so it, it is a full on stealth mission, a full a full on sneaking mission as Thancred, where you have to go through a base to disable it uh, and destroy the and destroy Metal Gear. Like, and it's really quite clear how much of uh, Garland is now tempered um, thralls. It, it's, it's clear that there's not an intelligent army in charge anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I I really want to be specific here. I there's a reason why when I was like, oh hey, cool, Metal Gear Solid expansion, I didn't realize, oh shit, Metal Gear Solid expansion. <laughs> but yeah, so we're in this like here in Act Two, we're in the Stormblood section. So yes, yeah, this is also the Stormblood expansion because uh, where in Stormblood we learned that the people under Imperial occupation uh, were suffering. We knew that they were suffering. We learned mm. what they what it meant to be under occupation. Yeah. Which is like like the mentality of people who were born under occupation, the mentality of people who were fighting for freedom, whereas the mentality of people who thought there was no way to get freedom. Like the comparison of no matter how long an occupation occurs, those people are still their second class. Right. 
how even if they've been with the Empire near the beginning, it still doesn't matter. And so what the Garlemald section of Endwalker does is it elaborates on that theme thir- further by pointing out like how Empire conquers its own people. Mm. Well, and there's it's it's not only that it's it's looking at the other side of the coin, too. It's it's looking at at what the politics and what the culture is in Garlemald, because famously, we don't know anything about that other than the few generals and important people that we interact with during the rest of the thing. That's what I was talking about, though. It's like, um, like, I mean, Garlemald is it's a frustrating place to be in from the start because we get there and it's devastated and people don't want help. They don't trust us. And why should they? We are savages that use strange magic. And I knew that and I still was gritting my teeth at how frustrating it was starting to feel. And and that is the emotion they want you to have because they want you to feel through this entire bit like, why the fuck? I'm here to help you. Why won't you let us help you? And you, you have to realize there's an early sequence where we're trying to help this young girl and her sister and they just trust us so little. They run out and get killed by monsters. They show, I believe, it was Alice having a complete breakdown of it. And I was yeah. kind of as angry as she was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am. I am deeply impressed that any kind of game can get that kind of emotion out of people. Whatever I and like and people complain about this because they just want their uh, they want the they want to the slap all the bad guys. Yeah, they want safe mm-hmm. power fantasy where you slap all the bad guys rather than, you know, complicated emotions about, hey, we actually should be trying to help these people out. A lot of people who have that opinion are also also called themselves leftists. (laughs) 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 Sorry about my cynicism, but (laughs) there's actually a really interesting uh, sequence in this whole place where where essentially we get to see we get to interact with one of the the old guard who yeah. who is kind of a Garlean supremacist. C- yeah, Quintus Cinna. What is it? Cinna von Quintus or something like that? I just remember Quintus, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. It was very interesting to interact with that character because, you know, he was an asshole to interact with and, you know, it, he, he was standing in our way. But they went out of their way to try to make us understand his point of view. And, uh, and also they, he kind of... In, a, in in his own way, at the very end, his his whole thing was step his his end was stepping aside for the new generation to have a mm. better life. That's very that's a very kind interpretation. I mean, mm-hmm. um, the so I was actually listening to a description of the designer that ended up creating the company Sanrio and his memory of Japan surrendering in World War Two. And he came back and the imperial soldier that the Japanese imperial soldier that sent them all to hear the emperor's speech of surrender had shot himself. Hmm. And not to spoil, I mean, I believe we're, yeah. so we're in the spoiler section since the start of uh, Shadowbringers. Quintus did that. And yeah. while it definitely had effect on me, he was someone that I looked at as like, I think you've made yourself an obstacle to the world. So. Oh, he definitely had. But at some level, I think he seemed to realize that. I don't know if that's it, but like it's more he couldn't see a place for himself in the world we were creating. Yeah, I it's and it's a tragic moment uh, that like I was like, I felt like uh, he there was a way you could reach him. And at the end point, the point of the game is like sometimes you can't. But yep, so you, you say that, but remember, this is a person who literally had just 
um, yeah. set you up for an ambush, kidnapping young like young teenagers, and then attending mm. attending to attack your group under the under the flag of a truce in order just to kill you. I understand yeah. that, and that's but why, then, like I said, I I definitely felt colder towards him than those like to those girls I mentioned the earlier scene. Oh, for sure. All that comes down to though, after that, so after like his troops surrender to you and you bring them in, there is this amazing scene where the Ilzabar contingent lets the uh, Garlemald refugees into their camp and just like starts offering them food, and like like a like a soldier named Julius who has been. Antagonistic towards us, antagonistic towards us, but also clearly struggling with it. As the more time he says this, like someone offers him soup. And he just starts crying. Mm-hmm. And then I start crying. <laughs> <laughs> and then fucking Fandale comes out of nowhere and drags us away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Just start. Yeah, just a huge roar from the radios wherever they've been using to propagate their they, they, to hide their signals. So he starts tempering everyone and then yeah he just pops up he's like hey welcome coming out no too bad <laughs> yoink and thus begins the most insane solo, solo duty in the entire story that kicks the story into overdrive <laughs> and it starts mm-hmm. with a fancy dinner party xenos <laughs> has taken you out of your body and put you in the body of the unnamed soldier that he was puppeting around before he got his own body back is this supposed to be i just figured he just grabbed one it is random. it is specifically the body that he had to get, go in to leave it in storage? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Fan Daniel's bragging it was something they were trying. And, and it's, I just want to mention the same thing. I'm like, oh, dad's happy he has a friend because they turned what's left of uh, Ferris into, into an anima. So that the way that the, the towers were tempering people, we, we it was a little bit strange because it seemed like they were being somehow mind controlled to become fanatics of nationalist fanatics of Garlemald. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a little bit weird. And so Fan Daniel finally explains here that they essentially turned they when they, they killed Varys. Varys, they turned Varys into a primal manifestation of the idea of Garlemald. The faith of the people in their end ruler. Uh, and that's why it's Anima from Final Fantasy X. Because it's always about parent issues. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, at the top of the Tower of Babiel is Anima. Surely Anima is going to be a trial, right? <laughs> and, by the way, and the other towers are little bits of, of Varys. Like, I think they mentioned a hand or a finger. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, the they've uh, mutilated this man to the one thing he hated the most. And while Varys is a monster, that's still pretty awful. Yep. Yeah. And they're not done doing awful things because Xenos decides to take your body for a joyride. <laughs> yep. Ehlers says, "Oh, I'm gonna go. See, I'm gonna go see your friends. Hang out with them. Stab them all. Maybe get a snack. Stab them again." Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to. If Fan Daniel dumps you into a way into the wasteland of the city, like the city is ruins. Yep, you have to MacGyver your way back to your friends uh, to, while evading enemies. And like, this is the first moment where the game is just kind of like, so how strong do you think you are as the Warrior of Light? How strong do you think you are now? <laughs> like you have, like, I think it's almost like some basic gladiator moves and not much else. Basic gladiator moves, you do not regenerate health. That is one of the most important things about this. It's like you need potions to heal. And it decides to slap you around a bit mentally. Like the first person you fight, it makes a point saying, well... You killed them. Normally, you probably wouldn't have had to, but in this body, you definitely killed them. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's cold. <laughs> yeah, like, the game just like, makes it damn clear what the Warrior of Light is by putting you in this body. Like, you're struggling against zombies, soldiers, half-broken mechs. You run into other people who need help. 
all of them die by the end. And then like you like with a massive explosion, you are forced to crawl. And I'm like, oh, shit, Metal Gear Solid expansion. <laughs> oh, no, we're halfway across the map. Oh, good. We're switching to cutscene. I was yeah. a little worried. Yeah, same. Uh, so Xenos' little game ends and we're just kind of like, well, that was fucked up. Guess we got to take the fight to him. In his, yeah, in, the and, and, yeah in, in your body, he just talks to you about how he's going to destroy all you hold dear, like dr- drown the world in despair. And then maybe you'll be willing to fight him. Yep. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it's time to go through the Tower of Babel to get rid of Anima. Mm-hmm. And sh- OK, so like as I'm going through the dungeon the first time, uh, I'm seeing all the Final Fantasy four references. You fight Dr. Lugay and Dr. <laughs> Lugay. Well, no, you fight Barnabas first and then Dr. Lugay. But <laughs> mm. yeah, he'll be back in comedy form later. Yes. And then at the at the top for the last of the three bosses, you fight Anima. <laughs> and like you're walking Why? towards Anima. The top of the tower is this twisted hellscape and you see it in the distance the whole time. You're yeah. walking right mm. towards it. And I'm like, OK, there's got to be a fight before Anima, right? What can it be? And then it's just like, nope. You're fighting Anima. Anima. And my, and my, my, all the alarms in my brain go off. It's faithful for all Anima does. It's it's yeah. lower half. It's rage form. Yeah. It does some pretty nasty attacks. But then, yeah, you destroy it. And, and like in my brain, I'm just like, what the fuck is this expansion doing? How is this? <laughs> what? What? How is that a dungeon boss? I like, think because of my sleepiness, you were ahead of me already. Oh, absolutely. I was far ahead. And, of and the queue and the queue. Well, remember, we started together yeah. in the leveling up our our new classes. But then uh, and then Fandana was like, OK, fine. We're going to use the last energy of the Tower of Babel to open a path to the moon. The, the main thing of all the ether they're collecting was they were going to shoot a giant laser at the moon. Yeah, they're going to shoot a laser. So he's like, fine, we're going to shoot a laser at the moon to break the seal on Zodiac and set him free. Ninety two percent complete connection loss. Damn it. Yep. It just barely doesn't work. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so they have to go to the moon and we have to give chase. Uh, Kryl, possessed by Heidelin. We forgot to mention that Kryl is be- being possessed by Heidelin now and then. And gave <laughs> us a shiny flower. Yes. Uh, the shiny flower. By the yeah. way, I just want to take a moment. There's That's so many things we have. Hey, uh, yeah, go look, ahead. I just so want to make a little sense. slow down a little bit. Yes. I just want to take a moment to say all the things were the great things we're skipping, like being frogs for some reason. Uh, yeah, being the best bunny boy. Um, oh, yeah. There's like, so much that there's so much that we're skipping just sorry because this is a very dense story with anger yeah, grapes. Like yes, they they fix the grapes, damn it. Uh, and that, okay. With the one thing that we should probably have mentioned that we didn't yet is in back in the opening section in Labyrinthos, Kryle, possessed by Hydaelyn, gave us a flower, and when we saved the people in Thavnir, the flower started glowing a, a bright, warm color, and that's how we first learned about Akasha. Yeah. Because apparently it like reacts to emotion, and our friend the our friend the awesome elephant, she says that just appears to be Akasha. Yeah. Just the well, she no, she wonders if it is based on Akasha. Well, she knows it's theoretical, right? Yeah, yeah. It also in Garlemald, the flower started glowing another color when in that happy little scene right before things went bad. <laughs> yeah. So Heidelin sends us to the moon to say we need to stop what's going on. <laughs> yep. And so like you get to the moon, and it's pretty cool. You, there's a big tower right in front of you. And on the other side of the tower is Zodiac in the middle of the center crater of this zone called Mare Lamentorum, the Sea of Lamentations. Like a massive crater that appears to be slightly damaged by the huge laser, but also it's just kind of like that. Yeah. Surrounded by these shattered floating towers, which is one left standing in the, in the colors of, of Hydaelyn's crystal array. So at that point in the story, I was just kind of like, that was a lot. I just had got body swapped, followed by fighting Anima. 
my character needs a break. And I just sat on the moon for 20 minutes staring at the Zodiac in it before I advanced the story. Like, hey guy, how it's going? Just like, this is fucked up, but I'm glad we've slowed down a bit. I'm glad we're able to calm down. Yeah. I'm glad that we're going to fight this at the end of the game. I, I, I'm ready for the rest of the game to happen now. So, <laughs> yes, that was my exact thinking. Because we... <laughs> Because after because after meeting a fr- a friendly shade of another um, ancient, specifically Hithlidaeus. Well, I was talking about well, the Watcher too. Oh yeah, the Watcher the Watcher helps us out, but we and also we get, meet. Then we get hit by zombie ghosts of Zodiac. Yep, and including the ghost of Hithlidaeus himself, which you realize means that he was one of the ones who died to create Zodiac. Yep, mm-hmm. and then we get make it to the last tower just in time for Zeus to break it in front of us. Xenos is ready to throw down, ready to eat this god. And then Fandaniel's just like, wait, hold on a second. Hold that thought. Remember when I said I wanted everyone to die? I meant it. And he takes the power of Zodiac for himself. Remember what I said? Give me the power of God. I lied. Because essentially the 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 reasoning for that is that since Elidibus is now dead, Zodiac does not have a soul. So he can essentially just take its take Elidibus's place. He is, though, it's a mindless beast without Elidibus's mind, without Elidibus's soul there anymore. So it's just it's open. <laughs> I started shouting at my screen. Wait, we're doing this now? We can't yeah, be doing this now. We- it's <laughs> level 83. Yeah, you're just kind of waiting for me. He's like, so, Jared, what do you think about the trial happening now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's level 83 and the trial is is Zodiac. And I'm like, the final boss Isn't this supposed to be the final yeah. boss. The monster that's been the 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 goal of this shadowy cabal for 10 years. We only just learned in the last expansion what it even is. Yes. Mm. And it's like, why is this not the final boss? Yeah. What is this <laughs> game? So, yeah, Holy we fight shit. this giant dark god with parts of its body missing because it's incomplete. It's only like eight. It's only eight out of 13 complete. Yeah. Mm. And, and so you have this. And so you have this really epic boss music. I'm told that the, the lyrics don't mean anything. Yeah, the lyrics don't mean anything. But I'm told that the direction given to Soken here was using the the musical themes that you've developed so far in the story, make the most final boss sounding track possible that you can. Yep. This is not the final boss. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like, I just kind of imagine Soken sort guy saying, well, they asked you to do the impossible again. All right, let's get to work. <laughs> yep. Um, I, so, I, that's truly my imagination of that guy. So um, the, he's after the, yeah, after the fight, I'm just like, okay, we've beaten Zodiac. Wait, we probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like the watch is like, great, now we can seal it again. And then Daniel's already like, mm, no. no. And Ed breaks his, and like rips out his own heart. Yeah, no. basically, he says, actually, this was my plan all along. I'm killing myself as Zodiac. Now the final days are going to start again. Enjoy it, suckers. I kind of wanted to Godzilla for a few days, but whatever. This is still what I wanted to do. If we didn't stop him, he was going to end the world just by being Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But but by and I, I think he thought that would be at least a little fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and so then, like, as he dies, we get this little soliloquy from him as he's just like uh, he is Amon in that moment, uh, praising Zande and uh, and like just noting that Zodiac was what protected from the end days after all. So yeah. and so gone, the end of days will return. And so, like, we stare up at the planet. We see this little vision of the entire planet covered, being, like, covered in black ink. And we hear this female voice that we've never heard before saying, about time. And about half the people I know played immediately thought that was e- evil. Um, Idolid, so oh, yeah. I never believed in Idolin as a villain, but uh, 
there was a brief moment in my life where I'm like, what? <laughs> it didn't sound like her. Not to, it did not I sound did not like, think it no. like her. And so, no, it's a voice we have not heard before. So, yeah, we had this vision of the world turning black and red. And now, like. And the watch was just like, well, well, you just destroyed the thing that moderates the uh, flow of ether on the planet. Not a good idea. We can work with that. We can work with that. Yeah. And as we're being rewarded by a celestial good boy to take us on a, a, a magic flying trip, we meet a bunch of bunnies. Yeah. Yep. Essentially, they they send they they say, OK, well, now that you fucked everything up, uh, we need to activate the contingency plan. Go meet the Laporets and they will prepare the evacuation of, of the Earth. And it turns out the Laporets have been in contact with old Charlian. Yeah, because we're in FF4, because we're on the moon, we have the na- we have a whole bunch of naming ways here. <laughs> yep. I mean, humming ways was the name of the race in Final Fantasy Four. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the naming way was just one humming way that was that like got lost on Earth, but <laughs> yeah, but they are the moon rabbits. Yes, and they can, and I just love them popping out of these giant pest suspensors to the victory theme. Yeah, and apparently they are <laughs> essentially the uh, quote unquote beast race of Heidelin, and she is, uh, made them specifically to adore all uh, sentient beings on Etheris, the name of our planet. Yeah, we finally learned the name of our planet. <laughs> And to want to help them. And in, in a traditional narrative time, everyone starts using it both now and even when we go to the past in a second. So, yes. yes. <laughs> it's, no, well, yeah. it's, did she make them cute just for as a joke or? No, she made them cute because she likes cute things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Hydaelyn is basically the Rena of Final Fantasy. <laughs> or Vena is the, is the Rena of Final Fantasy. Sorry. There's this whole thing where the rabbits are worried that they're going to have to force people to go onto the moon because the moon's a big spaceship to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, we talk so we, them, we don't want to, we basically have to convince them we don't want to give up yet. Yep. Yeah. Are we going to have enough carrots? Well, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we eventually just have to convince them, look, we'll still keep this plan in mind in case things go south, but we're going to try to figure out how to deal with the final days ourselves. I just love these tiny, cute rabbits try to try to um, just physically restrain us. And they try to do it before they use their many robots. Well, the funny thing, too, is that if, is this is that first they think we're children and they basically try to mother us uh, around for a while. Oh, yes. they think we're because the, they think that people are still the size of ancients, which are, you know, remember, 30 to 40 feet tall. Yep. <laughs> Then they panic. Then a lot of goofy stuff happens. We find out old Charlene has terrible taste in clothing. And just in general, the we go back. We're like, OK, we have a little bit of time to breathe. Uh, well, we'll be fine, though, right? Well, and but one thing to one thing to mention as well is that we finally find out we you mentioned that the Laportes have been in contact with old Charlene and the Senate. But uh, we so we find out that the reason that old Charlene has been behaving the way it is, is because they are the agents on Earth that the Laportes are hoping to use to plan the evacuation. Yep. And that's even why old Charlene has been gathering stuff in Labyrinthos. And basically, they've convinced old Charlie and deliberately or not, that's hopeless. So old Charlie mm-hmm. and they've been putting all their energy into this evacuation plan. And they don't even want to count and say anything else. Then they've also like magically sealed themselves from talking about it. It's pretty brutal. Mm. It's a bit of a smooth transition into act three from here. But that's when the final stage begins in Favnir. Like, like we go home after all the rabbit stuff. We talk to a random character as he jumps out a window. And then we if you picked see him, people. if you picked him, <laughs> yeah. And then we immediately see people surrounded by dark energy turning into monsters. Like it happens that night. Yeah. Yeah. And this and then Favnir is then the skies of Favnir burn. Yeah. Uh, we have to go to Favnir to save it. And we are like, OK, after we've like dealt with the 
one of these blasphemies in Vanaspati. Now, the worst thing is people are turning into them now. They're not just being summoned. Like people are being transformed in them. Yeah. And they they look just like the Amaratine final days uh, beasts. Yep. Uh, It's worth noting here that the um, this, of course, is a parallel to Shadowbringers now. uh, And the people turning into monsters is kind of like people turning into Sin Eaters. (laughs) Yep. And it's. And it's being played horrifically. Like, Ustoa says they don't seem to have ether anymore. She thinks their souls are being destroyed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing left yeah. after you turn into one of these monsters. Yeah, and this is the tw- this is the twist act. This is the third act of the four-act st- structure. Yep. Like, we try, like in Thavnir, we try to calm everyone down, only for a complete riot to break out, and even worse slaughter begins. Yeah, like, um... We're not saving people in this a- this part right now. We are no. not. No, like people complain about the Warrior of Light not doing stuff to say, doing enough to save people. And I'm like, what can you do in this point? It's go- it's getting bad no matter what. Yeah. You're running around like you're on fire. You're trying like you're, yeah. a friend says you have to save a couple. They're both dead and their baby is drowning in the lake yeah. by the time you're there. And you're just a second from not saving the baby, too. Well, Fabio mm-hmm. is just trying to hold on to whatever hope it can. The the team decides, well, what if we what if we like go to the Crystal Tower? And and so like and I, like in my mind I'm like okay let's talk about that marketing cycle again real quick. By the way, quick mention the flower disintegrate in front of us at that. I can turn. Oh yeah. And just right. yeah. And I think someone mentioned that they recognized that one of the names it was given. Like the watcher named it as Elpis. Yeah, the watcher remembered that the flower's name is Elpis, and so we need to find out what Elpis is. And mm. uh, and we decide okay, we're gonna go to the first to, to because Elidibus is probably still stuck in the Crystal Tower yeah. somehow. I love that we can still casually just go between worlds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randomly, the first is OK, by the way. The first is OK. Nothing's happening there so far, so far. But if the source dies, it will die, too. Care about the source, people. Jeez. <laughs> there was a there was a large amount of people after Shadowbringers that are just like, I don't care about the source anymore. I just want to help the first. And I'm and I was like. No. And then and Walker is just kind of like slapping your face. You should care about the first two or you should care I about feel the like first two. two. I'm convinced they're just too invested in the ring guy relationship. Uh, no, they're too, they were too invested more in like Emmett Selk than anything else and all that, but, but he's not there anymore. I know. Right. <laughs> like it, there people who are fans of only shadow bringers are weird, but they, it, there was a lot of people that were just like only interested in the first at that point. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So we go there and Elizabeth's shade is really happy to see us. I swear. Um, <laughs> so and I want to keep, get, let you into my thought process here Go in the marketing for and Walker. The there was a zone that we only had concept art for that was a bunch of floating islands. There's also one zone that we knew nothing about, but I'm like, yeah, we'll figure out what that is later. Yeah. Strangely, we knew about the moon. That was weird. We because oh yeah. Until well, then, I had assumed the moon was going to be a final the final zone like the tempest, but that was clearly not once no, the marketing. Started. I was like, I was assuming that the moon was going to be the level eighty three, level eighty four zone. Guess what it was? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Brag, brag. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, and, but I also thought there was going to be like a lunar subterrain that you go to to fight Zodiac at the end. Not quite. You also, you also were convinced Zodiac was Zeromus. You were just early. No, I thought no, I thought that the final threat was going to be Zeromus after this. Uh, Zeronus or Xenos. My thought process was, OK, where is that floating island zone? And so we're going to the first. And I'm like, is the floating island zone on the first? And then Elidibus tells us about Elpis in the past. And tells us we can use the Crystal Tower to go there. Yeah, because Alpis isn't a flower, it's a place. Yep. Mm. 
And I'm like, like wait. And then he says, like, wait, it's like, wait, you were there. He's, so, he's like, his memories just reactive. It's like, wait, you were there too? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. He just yeah. suddenly realizes, wait, I remember you being there specifically. What does that mean? He sends us as a little bit of incor- incorporeal ether to the past, to the unsundered world. Removing the last of his existence in the power, which is to mention. Mm. Yeah. And so, like, as I reach the unsundered world, I'm just like, holy shit, we're in a Chrono Trigger expansion. The Flying Island Zone is literally zeal. Yep. Said, oh, no, people are already arguing that maybe Ebon Selk was right. Don't prove him right. And well, so we <laughs> so we go there and we don't have really have a body. We're just a little bit of incorporeal ether sitting around the entrance to Elpis. And then who should come by but a pair of people we don't recognize, but we know their names. Hithlidius and Emmett Selk. Yeah. And I like that. Like, Emmett Selk's like, I see that little ghost there. I don't want to deal with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> and Hithlidius is like, like, oh, you got to. It's interesting. And so Emmett Selk just kind of like, okay, fine. I'll give it a body. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And he just does that. And he recognizes, huh, you look like our friend or you resemble in a way our friend. (laughs) And our friend's an asshole. So he would do something like this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so they are here to and we learn that they are here to meet Hermes. We learn that Hermes is next in line to be Fan Daniel. And we learn that Emmett Selk looks like a Xehanort. I don't care about that. <laughs> it's fun. Also, Hithlidius is way more a pretty boy than he thought than I thought he would be at first. <laughs> really? Really? I thought Hithlidius would be kind from when we met his shade in Amarat. I thought uh, Hithlidius was going to be kind of an old professory guy. Like a fair. friend slash mentor sort. As, yeah. as opposed to just his opposed to just this um, ambiguous friendship group. Well, yes. Uh, in any case. So in Elpis, we meet Hermes. Hermes is a researcher who makes creations and has decided he wants to investigate Dynamis, that mysterious power that we first learned about as Akasha. Yeah, like like Elpis is this land where they make monsters and creatures. In some nebulous way, they're good enough for reality. And they just drop them on the stars like, great, we made, we've now made the planet more interesting. Yeah, yeah. They 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 seem to be trying to, like, make them to fulfill ecological niches and do some kind of and sometimes do geoengineering type of things. Yep. And Hermes has made a a bird daughter. Yes. Yes. As part of his research into Dynamis, Hermes has created something he calls an entelechy, a being that is very weak ethereally, but can interact with Dynamis. The reason to do that is because Ether basically just over overwhelms dynamis and pushes it out if it's great enough. yeah the re- the reason that but, that they couldn't detect akasha in the current time is because it's essentially like trying to detect a neutrino in uh yeah. in in real life like in order to detect neutrinos in real life they have to create these giant tanks of he- of heavy water and even then only like one in several uh and bury and bury the miles like, underground don't forget yeah. that part but at the same but at the same time like be because of Dynamis's power over emotions, mm-hmm. it can influence things in ways that Aether can't. So and this is mm-hmm. like three times as much Dynamis as Aether. Yeah. Oh, no, way more. Like it is they gave like it amounts. Uh, they said that the vast quantity of energy in the universe is Dynamis. And in fact, it makes up the bulk of the space in between uh, Aetherus and the rest of the universe. And in fact, it's like Aetherus is, is unusual in how much Aether it actually has is the whole idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they kind of definitely make a an analogy to Dynamis as dark matter here. The Entelechis, this one be, being named Meteon. Is just a little bird girl. <laughs> little bird girl with that was like able to connect with people emotionally and is the, like, and we learn that it was designed to ask other planets questions. Just like figure yeah. out, find the meaning, find their own meaning in life. He barely made lots of her. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, like they, 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 they change between a bird form and the girl form. He sent them all out into space to find other planets. Except for I, this one. Well, this one was the receiver back on back on yeah. Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into this right now uh, because this recap is taking a long time. We've already met three people. There's one more important character we're meeting in this area. Vana. Yep. When I heard we were going to meet Vana, I was just like, oh, God, what what are we going to do? Are we going to have evil Heidelin? And then. So Vana, we find out, is the former Azem. Yep. <laughs> the per- person who was Azem before our or before our. Um, Unsundered self became a Zem. Yeah. I was kind of laughing at this, just a, a random fact, is we do meet Argos, the dog that we met back on the moon when we meet Vana. And the entire appearance of Argos is just a, a dog's look like their owner's joke. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, more people made jokes about the dog looking kind of like um, Minfilia. Uh, Minfilia. But yeah. Um, and just in general, though, like Vana. Is the coolest fucking person in the world. <laughs> like, like Hippodeus is going out a great shark rant, and before a shark that's annoyed by it eats some, but that just kills it out of nowhere. That's her like, entrance. Like, um, she has the coolest entrance, and like you get to fight her in a solo battle where she's just after she asks you how your journey has been, she like she reveals because she figures out pretty quickly, oh hey, you're from the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, the timeline is about to get fucked. Oh, the yeah. way she realizes it is that, oh, I put I put my blessing on you at some point, but I don't know you. I don't think she called it a blessing. She called it like a defensive spell she makes. I put a defensive enchantment in a traveler's ward on you. Yeah, she called it the traveler's charm. Yeah. I don't know who you are. You must be from the future. How far in the future are you from? <laughs> yeah. And which finally leads to us. Telling her, Emmett Selk, and Hithlodeus about the future, which is a lot. By the way, Emmett Selk, you're a crazed madman and we just killed you. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, Selk, he's not a fan. Emmett Selk <laughs> is like, I object to my depiction as a crazed megalomaniac. Megalomaniac. Megalo. <laughs> yeah. Megalomaniac. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever. Megalodon. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> I guess so. That I, That's one of those words I, I rarely hear. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. Play Megalovania. I hear it over and over again. Yeah. She, so if the DS came to Emmett Sel, because, you know, someone needs to keep an eye on him. So while Emmett Selk is going off to find more things, we just spend a bit of time with Vana, and the game is, takes a very brief amount of time to just, like, get you to understand the person behind Heidelin. Someone who... Bucks for people's trends of utilitarian life, a life that you do your job and then you then you surrender it mm-hmm. because she bucks it because she loves the world. She loves its beauty so much. She wanted to keep experiencing yeah. it. So even after she retired, she kept living because a lot of the people in the in the convocation have this thing. It's like, OK, I've accomplished as much as I, I feel I need to or want to. I'm going to pass on my title and also return to the life stream. Mm-hmm. They call it return to the star, but yes, yes, same thing. <laughs> um, like it, it's just a phrase; it's a evocative in some way. That's and Her- Hermes is actually this is like one of the we get Hermes hang up about that idea of Hermes believes that life. Oh, he has a feeling that even created beings have their own emotions, 
And the fact that people casually just remove um, anyone, any creatures not going just destroys it is starting to really break him. Yeah. Yeah. He really does not like what they do do in Elpis where it's like, oh, we made these creatures, but they're not working out and they're being destructive. So we're just going to kill them. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we get to we get to learn what Highland deal or rather what Vanaz deal is. And like, honestly, like, at the, like, as soon as I understood what. Banal was it was like the exact opposite arc of 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 M itself for me, where I was just like mm. where I where I went to I trust you implicitly you are the coolest person. <laughs> it's just like I understand you the future and I see my part here. Did you enjoy your journey? Yeah, she asked us flat out right in the middle. Of and like this. and like I think the point where it just like struck me struck me so heavily is that uh, um M itself can only see see us in us and can't, like can't see us as people. Vana is interested in us. Very specifically, mm. she's like, yeah, you resemble a Zem, but you still seem like your own thing. How was your journey? <laughs> a couple things. First, just a couple things on the Zem topic. They never directly say they're certain you are a Zem or a portion of it. So that key is kept a little bit vague, which is a- appreciated. Yeah, I do you- also like that Zem's reputation is, yes, he'd make a weird uh, have ether creature, have it wander around Elpis for no reason. That's something he'd do. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have you have this this idea that basically Emmett Selk recognize you as related to Azem right away because the whole thing is that he can see souls and their color really clearly. And so well, he's like, well, it's that's Hithodeus. Hithodeus feels his only good feature is his eyes. I just love that they say, look, even if you're not Azem, if anyone thinks you're weird, just say Zem made you and that everyone will buy that. Emmett yeah. Selk has that, that ability. So too. Yeah, Emmett Selk has that ability too. Uh, Hithlidius just has the the sight stronger. We catch up with Hermes right as first contact is made. Not really first contact. Um, the first Hermes record, paradox is made. Uh, yeah. So the question of is there life in the universe is answered. It's complicated is the answer. <laughs> well, the answer that we're getting from like Medion is actually so horrified when she starts coming in, she tries to run from us. But when we force her to respond, the answer seems to be mostly no. And what's there is definitely dying fast. Well, no, the the, the answer is essentially that, yes, life does life does exist elsewhere. But every time but every other example of life we ha- we can see has destroyed itself yes. or is in the process of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When she goes into this robotic voice mode, she just lists off all these various civilizations that her sisters found. Dead, dying, in the middle of a war, diseased. It's like dying in <laughs> sorrow. And like Hermes breaks. That's yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, Hermes is and like uh, by the way, Selk, it's like, do you think what would happen if there wasn't an answer to yeah, life life yeah. is worth it? Yeah, so like the, I I, I, I we, I want to talk about more about this later, but uh, we we get we Hermes goes to uh, what is it? Kairos. I'm not going to try it. It's a it's a difficult pronunciation. Katisios Hyperborea. No, Kairos, which is in Katisios Hyperborea. Yeah. Oh, it's the Kairos is a device. Yeah, I was saying uh, he's going to Kairos, which is a device that can uh, basically erase thoughts of or rather memories in a period of time. It's, it's not that he goes there. It's that we're already there when it happens. Well, no, 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 no. That's like the he's taken. I'm saying, well, like, he's, he's t- yes, he took Medion because Emmett Selk's trying to shut everything down, probably destroy her, but he still mm-hmm. wants to hear his answer. So he transforms into a giant monster form and runs off with her to this highest structure. Like we're up in space by the time we climb to the top. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we follow him up there and Kairos is there. And basically 
the idea is that that uh, it's that basically he, a, want, he wants to he erase the memories of everyone in this area over well, this me, time period. Yeah, he well, asks Median again, and yeah. Median just verbally destroys him, saying yeah. like, yeah. "There's nothing here. This is what the life is. Life is suffering, and yeah. we're going yeah. to end it." Yeah. She turns black. <laughs> yep. And so the reason that he wants to to do this oh, is yeah, because right. he has decided. That it's not fair for us to simply destroy Median and uh, and her sisters because they are inconvenient to us. Right. Well, he said he's reached the point, a breaking point, his doubt about if humanity of the ancients are worth it. He's also learned a bit about our. Has he learned about what's going to happen? No, he hasn't. No, he actually has no idea. This time, like he's like. You know what? This is unfair. It's like we just as easily destroy our species. Are we worth preserving either? And so he's like, I'm going to make the perfect experiments. Yep. Yeah. And so he he's decides going- that he's going to let uh, he wants to let Medion go and try to destroy us. And that's going well, to be the only fair way to 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 resolve this. Well, what he's going to do is he's going to let her go to the edge of the universe to make her nest. And then mm. and she's explicitly said she intends to end all life that remains as it's the only merciful results. Yeah. Yeah. And so like is, is basically Hermes is like, I want this to be a fair bet. Can a actually deal with this? What's the right answer to life? Yep. And so he wants to erase the memories of everyone who knows about this, himself included, and let things happen. And so Hiphodius, Emmett Selk, and uh, you and Vena make a plan, but only uh, the well, Warrior of Light and Vena can escape before Kairos activates. It's not that they make a plan. It's that there's this like last minute uh, thing where Emmett Selk and Hiphodius let you go. Like, Well, you and them worked like you have just such an instant connection. They perfectly execute a bluff to get you a path that you can escape through. Yeah. Yep. Vanilla's trying to catch Median, but misses by a by a bit. Like she, but she does send something with her. Basically, we have a tracking point at the end of the universe that uh, from Heidelin to find where Median is, and so we need to go back to our time and find Heidelin. Uh, so, so finally, that's the end of our adventure in in Elpis. It was uh, it it was a really interesting thing because it came out of nowhere. I never expected us to go basically have an adventure with Emmett Sel, Kithlidius and Vena in the past. Because this, because the story is not done beating us as we are sent back through time. We are given a vision. We have the vision of Vena at the end of days, making the decision to sunder the world. And I will say she has said up till now, she, like when we told her about it, she's like, I can't imagine any reason I'd ever do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she's, and she was going to fight for everything to avoid doing that because she loves the world so much. And can keep in mind that now she's the only ancient that knows about the coming disaster and the nature of it. Yep. But she she probably cannot convince anybody that. Well, that she's been trying true. to convince, she's been trying to convince people of the dangers for a very long time. I do believe the scene we see is slightly symbolic because yeah. like as she walks through the end of the day, she sees Hermes suffering. She sees uh, Hithlodeus going to have sacrifice of Emmett self rages. And then she comes upon a group of ancients who are just planning to once again, like, we can't take the suffering. Zodiac will save us. Yep. And she begs them to listen. Yep. And when they don't, she realizes that there is no way that this society will be able to solve Hermes question. Mm -hmm. A society that is in a utopian mindset that creates life so willingly and destroys it so freely that is based on this lie cannot succeed. And so she does the only thing she can. 
She destroys paradise. She destroys paradise. She strips the ancients of their power, splits the splits it up so that they're way weaker in ether. But that also means that they might be able to interact with Dynamis more. Yes. And and, and, and somehow di- interacting with Dynamis is going to be the key to saving the world is what she's decided. And there's a really symbolic scene where essentially Vina as Heidelin grappling with the suffering that she has created in the she, world. She stumbles through the sunrise. fog of ages, seeing people crying and suffering around her. Her own body seems to be breaking down, which I assume is like the rejoining and the stress of holding back. Yeah, Odia. yeah, yeah. Well, and she's covered in blood uh, yeah. as she but as she stumbles bit by through bit it. She starts. It's like more like black tar than blood is the thing. I think it's like, dried blood because blood turns black as it gets older. Yeah, it, it's, hard, it's hard to say. Like I said, but it's like she's just slowly. She, it's like she's decaying. Yeah, uh, and, and breaking apart. It's just like the sheer determination to like get to the end of it is just like one of the moments that just sticks with me so much in this game. Like, and and this is once again they're playing answers throughout this scene. Like, this yeah. the main theme is back. They've yeah. and and through it they fully recontextualize answers as not just a theme about the uh, uh, umbral calamity that brought about the start of Aroma Born, but specifically the entire catastrophe that started this entire story to begin with. And now we yeah. finally arrived at Endwalker proper. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So That's- after after we get through that scene and the player probably stares at a screen just shaking for a while. Mm. <laughs> yep. And realizing that if they felt all distrustful of Heidel of Heidelin probably being very sorrowful. Yep. <laughs> um, so there are, I mean, so- I, there are still people out there that are like, Grr, Heidelin's so evil. Blah. They, she destroyed paradise. She committed genocide. Fuck those people. <laughs> I, I can't deal with the official forums of Final Fantasy fourteen anymore. They're so bad yeah. at understanding fiction. How many forums do you think I go on ever? <laughs> I, I used to go there to, like, look at uh, thoughts and theories, and now I just can't go there at all. It's like so many people are just like, Emmett Selk was right. I'm a fascist, blah. <laughs> hmm. We make it back to the world, and, like, as it turns out, Xenos, has, who has now been, like, wandering around in the end of the, to- in the end times, has been kind of like, this is boring. This is boring. And you're too distracted by all this to fight me. Yeah, he came <laughs> flying out of Zodiac's crater after the fight, like looking all evil powered up and everything. It's like, no, your heart wouldn't be in it. You'd be thinking of someone else. Yeah. Yep. There's this wonderful bit that I'll probably do with the Mickey voice later where like <laughs> Xenos kind of like gives gives the uh, the positive absurdist answer to the question of what is the meaning of life, which is <laughs> who knows? <laughs> it's like, why do you need why do you need meaning? Like, mm. well, no, it's more like everyone will have their own answer to that question. Yeah. The reason why utopianism can't answer that question is because it assumes that everyone is looking for the same thing. Yeah, right. And like, so, there's a great scene where, like, he's they're trying to read in the riot act that his country's throwing him out. And he's just not bothered. No, you've been named Viator, Traveler, Trader. Yeah, eh, whatever. Yeah, there's there's this whole scene where he gets renamed from Xenos. uh uh, yay Galvis to Xenos Viator Galvis. Like, traveler, traitor, the meanings of those words. Uh-huh. Amusingly, because it means traveler, in some way that's made him have a connection to this M. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I've heard people arguing that's because MSL has so many complicated feelings about um, Azem that maybe he developed the language that way. <laughs> <laughs> we go to back to old Charlene and we say, look, we need to talk to Heidelin. We know you have this way to talk to Heidelin because of the fucking rabbits on the moon. Let us talk to Heidelin. The Charlians did not know that they were rabbits so that when they finally meet the Laporte, <laughs> it's a hilarious scene. Everybody's just like, like these, these are the 
the, the servants yeah. of Heidelin that we've been respecting and working with for decades? <laughs> we're, we're fortunate all recovers pretty fast. So yes. anyway, the only way they will let us uh, talk to Highland is if we help them create, finish the spaceship that'll take everyone to the moon. Evacuate the, the, the Earth. Yeah, because yeah. actually what's in their underground um, labyrinthos uh, landscape is a gigantic spaceship. What was the joke? Arkgren, the Arkgren Logan? Yeah, at this point, at this point where I started shouting, it's the Grand Lagan expansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically they don't want trust us still. So saying, look, can you make this ship better? Maybe if you can help us fix it, we'll actually let you go. And so yeah. and all I'm the connections like it's an amazing bit where like all the connections we've made over the world come together to help us finish the ship. I remember me mm. bragging about how much I like the all the connections back in the mustering the Ilsebar contingent. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. was saying like you'd have to go into every dungeon before and find all the artifacts. So that'll take forever. And um, I already did that, fucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead, Alphanod gets on a phone call with everyone we've ever met, and like everyone helps. calls in favors, calls yeah. in all the favors that we've built up. <laughs> yeah, it's raid a raid allies. Um, yeah, the people of the different Ishgard, Alamigo. Everyone, everyone yeah. is here. <laughs> Fucking Alpha and Omega are here. <laughs> yeah. It's only possible because of the fact that the Warrior of Light made all of these connections in the previous expansions. Yes. Like Richa lets us know that he went to the other dragons and Race Felger gave some scales. And even yeah. even um, Midgar Sombra woke up out of his current coma just for a brief moment to get permission to use his old body. And and Fortunal is shocked. Yep. And like we've also we've already like reconciled the twins with Fortunal at this point where like the entire reason Fortunal like distanced himself from the kids is because he learned this great secret about the end of times coming. And he's just like, I've got to do everything I can to protect these kids. Yeah. They're and like they're they're getting putting themselves in danger. I can't handle that. And also I have terrible emotional coping skills, by the way. Yes. I'm not <laughs> going to go into detail about it, but there's a scene here where Urian Jay gets to be really emotional and oh, yeah. it made me cry. Oh, like this this expansion is just like uh bringing in all the cries yeah. way more than like Urian Jay not only learned to stop randomly betraying us by just um, humoring the little parrots, but then he actually has to face his own grief. And yeah, yep. mm -hmm. again, facing your grief. Yep. This, yeah, that is what this game is about, is facing your grief rather than just like wallowing in it. Yeah. And so finally, after all yeah. of that happens, we get to go into the Itea scope, uh, which is where you can talk with Heidelin. Yeah. Uh, basically, old Charlene has kind of built a, a, a built a hole into the afterlife by accident. Yes. One of the more interesting choices again down here is you get the choice whether you want to call Heidelin Heidelin or Vana. I called her Vana. Yeah. Like we meet her, she and the full Heidelin form. Well, let's get well, right back into a mono let's, artwork. Let, let's go back a little bit though, because oh, there's one thing I want to right say now. about No, I was one thing I want to say before oh, no, we yeah, get to Heidelin. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. No, 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 at, I remember. at the end of the Iteoscope, we meet the shade of Hermes, or rather or rather of Fan Daniel. He no, still sees himself as Amon. He is fully in his um, is 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 appearance as Amon here. So I want to make this point. I want to make the argument now that we have fought Fan Daniel slash Amon slash Hermes three times in this game. Yep. As a trial Plus and as two dungeon times. bosses. And it, like, uh, if it, if like if you're like me, you're like, oh wow, that is really fun. Like half the bosses in this game are this guy. <laughs> it's great, and yep. he's different every time. Yeah, like Hermes uses wind magic spell. Yeah. And like as Zodiac, he was using crazy star and darkness magic. 
And as a mod, he's reducing his old uh, crystal tower moves. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, and once you beat him, fucking Asahi's ghost comes out. Like Aman is there just wondering what anything was point to, wondering what his life was for. Even takes and, a moment to realize that he recognizes us again. And mm-hmm. then, like you said, this fucker shows up and says, no, no, I'm we're not doing you that personally. You're fucking puppeteered my body. I'm dragging you down to hell with me. But he, he's not mad about that. He's mad about him screwing with Xenos. True. Yeah. And it's and just so like, like <laughs> at the at the, at the end uh at the end of all of that he's mostly mad at uh Fan Daniel slash Amon but the thing is is that he turns to us at the end and basically takes a moment uh to tell the warrior of light fuck you i learned nothing the I world's going to so burn much. and it's great like you know what i i like at that moment i'm just like you know what good on you buddy Never change. <laughs> yeah, just go get absorbed in the live stream and just maybe never appear again. But you be you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm like, I at that point, I'm like, yeah, you're a dick. I hate you. But yeah, what can I say? <laughs> I I love that moment. Yep. Finally, at the end, we get to we get to meet uh, Vinaz slash Heidelin. And it's relatively clear her identity is pretty damaged. Like she knows who she is, but it's clear her emotions and personality are definitely very changed by the time and by the other roles. Well, she's been saving up all her energy now for this moment because well, not the question, all of it. But no, all, all the all the energy. Yeah, all the yeah, energy. It's been, it's been a recurring thing since Rome were born that she was almost out of energy. Yeah, it's indicated that with each rejoining Zodiac, who is stronger by two to four yeah. times is straining against her so badly. And some of the things like Ultima, the Shield of Lights, mm-hmm. all those things had her barely hanging out. But she has okay. saved the, the best part of what remains to her because mm. she must test us. Yep. Yeah, so basically the... Yeah, the entire question is, can humanity deal with this itself? Yep, and so basically she decides that she's going to be the last trial. And the interesting thing is that... Uh, is that as as she fights, like the very last line she says uh, before hard and rage in in uh, in extreme mode is uh, is you've been judged. You've been judged and found wanting. Go now and never look back. And she's telling us to flee, the, flee, Ethereus and and go for go forward with the Laporte's plan. She's just basically us. there's a there's a fork here. There's a more there's a fork here. Which only one of two things can happen. Either we go and face the threats or we or we leave or we leave. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, so you better be strong enough to actually have a chance because I will not just just wager everyone's lives to people who are, have no choice, have no hope. This is the only mm-hmm. trial in which you're able to use the trust system. This is the only duty in the entire game where I've used the trust system. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't even use it when I had the option of bringing along Emmett Cell, Hippodeus and Vana in Texas Hyperborea. Why would I do that? <laughs> Why would I do that? I don't need to do that. But I needed to do this because before the fight, every scion has their own little character defining moment. And that's why I was like, I have to use the trust system here. Like it would be denying them their character growth if yeah, I didn't you do that. Here, you sit here why summon more imaginary friends. Bye, guys. Yeah, no, I can't do that. What are you talking about? Um, the voice line that, my, that I always keep in mind in that fight is not the enraged line. It's the lines that she says in the middle of the fight that are elaborating on the three main themes of answers. Hear, feel, think. Hear, the song of creation's end. Feel, the sorrow at hope's demise. Think, and find your way in the darkness. 
she's warning you of what you're facing. Like she said, and here's what you have to do. And I really love the 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 name of the song that's playing as well. It's called Your Answer. Mm-hmm. As opposed and, to her answers, mm-hmm. where, which is what answers is actually about. It's Heidelin's answers to the world about why everyone has to suffer. So and your <laughs> answer is 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 the answer to the riddle that uh, of of life that Heidelin posed in some of the earlier expansions. Yep. And it has to be so, yeah. your answer. It's not the answer. It's your answer. So, yeah. And, so we prove that we've graduated her test. We defeat Heidelin. Mm hmm. And so with that graduation, we're able to take our spaceship into the furthest well, reaches of the universe. And where I said, and but we're also shown that we're no longer in need of the God that protects us. And now she's reached her end, too. Yeah, she fades away. She's finally able to make her walk to the end as well. Can I just say that she's my favorite hero in Final Fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's why you wouldn't say, like, you wouldn't say, like, it was fun, Vinag. She cries. And if you don't do that, why wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah, like I don't know what happens if you call her Heidelin. I don't if he feels wrong to do that. Like Vina is the best. She is my favorite character. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they so we t- so the mother crystal, which is sort of like a cocoon of ether around her. Like she says, we're going to use what's le- you will use it to travel to the farthest star. We use a spaceship powered by fr- primal farts to get to the end of the universe. It's great. That's oh. <laughs> great. Like the all the way back in 1.0, there was a iconic scene of like all the primals breaking free from like from the ether when the uh, original clash between Miguel Soma and the Imperials happened. And mm-hmm. we see a new version of this because we've brought in the beast tries to make priests. They've been given a new version of the summoning that takes away the corruption of, of tempering and the primal absorption. And they use it to turn the mother crystal into into primals that dive into our ship and power it up. It's yep. Yep. <laughs> So even the beast tribes are, are being called in to help us with favors and it's great. Remember, like in the in the in the patch cycle, we kind of skimmed it. We actually convinced many of them to at least be willing to work with us, like mm-hmm. ex- like talking like, like we need to find a path forward. So much is going on. There's bad blood, but we need those. So so now finally we take the ship and we go to the edge of the universe to a zone called Ultima Thule. Ultima Thule is a term that means the furthest possible point. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about anything else about it. <laughs> yeah, the, let's just say the term has some unfortunate uses and let's just try not to let that control yeah. it. Um, yes. It's a very cool zone. But like right before we get there, the ship stops and Median comes in to show to be all anti-spiral on us. And I'm like, oh, shit, Garen Lagan expansion. <laughs> oh, fucking horror. Like she's appearing as a presence, like overwhelming us, choking us just by being there. Yeah, yeah, it's actually kind of amusing because Zodiac is clearly a Lord Genome character in this case. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was Emmett Selk was the Lord Genome character. Oh yeah. Well, there, he's well, the and, yes. And this is there, the Anti Spiral. Well, I think you you kind of have, I guess, uh, a multiple Lord Genomes, but Zodiac <laughs> the was Asians, clearly the Asians were Lord yeah. Genome. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Defeat. They, they didn't even know they were defeated like he was, but they still were, and they were still fighting under that defeat. Yeah. yeah. And so but like as we lose consciousness, like uh, fan just walks steps towards Median and then everything goes black and yep. we wake up. He's gone. Yep. We wake and up and he's gone. But essentially, uh, Median was telling us that we're in a place where humans, right. where life simply can't exist. Mm-hmm. But now the and ship has landed on solid ground. Yes. Yeah. And But fan has gone. Wonder if he went on ahead. No, he did not go on ahead. So what happens in Ultima Thule is every single one of your allies 
basically uses dynamis to give some element to the area and in doing so sacrifices himself. Whether deliberately or unintentionally has generated echoes of, of dead universes she met. The dragons of the dragon star destroyed by Omega's race, a race of energy beings crushed by ennui and, and fear of the heat death universe and the Omicrons, the robots that create Omega left with nothing left to conquer and no reason to improve themselves. Yep. Yeah. And so what's so, basically it's Final Fantasy, like using its final area, which normally is like where they a Final Fantasy game will ask its biggest questions to ask the biggest question. <laughs> <laughs> what is the meaning of life in a world universe where we know that uh, heat death is going to happen uh, and that we might never be able to meet other civilizations? Yeah, it's directly conf- confronting the horror of the great filter theory. And so how can anyone possibly say that fantasy stories are not a way to discuss real political and philosophical issues? I mean, people who just don't care about stories are like that. (laughs) We're not that, though. Like this is like for me, Ultima Thule is the most like. I was so astonished with that. This was in this game that like step by step with each confrontation, one of our friends stands up. And poses their view on on what that truth is, and they give themselves up to Dynamis, and they're basically absorbed into nothingness. But it's still, if it completes the world further, it make it unlocks a path forward. Yeah, they they are countering the uh, narrative of despair that 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 area has essentially uh, uh, given up to. Yep, uh, and Estinian basically gives us the winds. Uh, yeah. He tells the dragons that there's still reason to hope look forward, even when the fight is lost. He stole an Irianje say that uh, that knowledge is important to a species that despairs of it. Mm-hmm. And also keep in mind that Estola tells us, yes, I know you're going to be able to give us form again. Don't fucking do it because yeah. this is what gives this place the ability to yeah. live. Asim's crystal yeah. brings us back. But as soon as you do that, we just drop it to a vacuum and all die. So, yeah. No. So well, the interesting thing about this that, that just got me is that when you get into the zone, they just did such an ambitious thing with the music here that I have to mention it. Oh, go like, for there's it. A, yeah, the, go there's a there's a kind of. When you enter the zone, there's a kind of very ambient background that sounds very far in the lo-fi. distance, echoey. Lo-fi. It's it's lo-fi and indistinct. Yeah. It's kind of dissonant. It's kind the of word just I like use a, is muted. Yeah. yeah, muted is a great word. It's muted and vaguely dissonant. It sounds like there might be a melody in there, but it's very ambient and and dissonant. And as you go, it slowly and steps starts to get a little bit more distinct. And then at the very end, after uh, your last, your well, last. No, no, it's Grahatia. Uh, Grahatia is when it, uh, the vocals are added. Yeah, that uh, that's. I mean, that's when the your last ally sacrifices. No, go next. Uh, uh, Grahatia to the to the intelligence behind the Omicrons argues yeah. that even if you change yourself completely, yeah. if you're not sure what your original was, that doesn't make you any less real. Speaking about yeah. his his like submerged fears about being both his original self and the Exarch. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's why I meant after the, after then, the Omicron, the vo- the uh, it becomes a full song with the vocals. And you, you might not have even realized that it had been building towards this. Oh, I realized it, but it was the theme from the uh, launch trailer. <laughs> I had a late reaction. I didn't notice the mm. first change. Mm-hmm. But not till the lyrics cut in. The mm-hmm. the lyrics cut cut in, 
And uh, it's just such a raw, emotional song. I I just started crying when I, when is, I heard it. It is the saddest song of hope I can imagine. And then we make it to the final zone that uh, we like represented the, with Alphano and Alice. Yeah, I'm, like, like Medion tells us of worlds where there wasn't anyone there, that they had already passed. There's no answers here. And so what they confront her with is, no, there is still someone here. You're the one who caused this that this world to fall to this end. <laughs> it's in like a phoenix, life can always return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Alphano and Alice give up their ether to help us develop a path to the end. The warrior is breaking. Like you're saying, it's like, no, I promised your parents keep you safe. When he's like, they're almost yeah. every dialogue choice. You're begging them not to, not to be next. Yeah. And then, holy shit, the sequence. The next quest is called "You're Not Alone." <laughs> Anyone who knows Final Fantasy IX as a fan, you should immediately be reacting. Okay. I have never played a game or any piece of media that has caused me to cry in that particular way. Where, like, I was just, like, eyes open, jaw dropped, walking forward, listening to all the voices from characters in the past encouraging me to go on. Like, Like, what happens is, like, alone, you're, you're hit with a... Literally, like you're hit with a story debuff that you can't do walk, do more than walk. And it's like and then your character's like in this city devoid of life. You sense the presence of another and shades appear in front of you and dialogue from throughout the series. that comes at you one at a time. Just like uh, little words of encouragement and hope to just like remind you of everything you've seen and done up to this point. And when you reach the mm. end, you get Arbert saying, let's finish this. <laughs> Which is, by the way, amusing because that voice clip is from him trying to use his limit break on you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, um, but it's still just like, yeah. oh, fuck. Like, they really as, did everything in this game. As, as you walk slowly up a shimmering path of light made by the twin sacrifice and that song sings like this is voice. These voices speaking, talking about how people form bonds with others, about how we'll never give up, how people how you need to come home safe because people are counting on you. All of this. Yep. And when you make it to the end, you realize, oh, there is still someone I can summon to help me out here. Like Medion confronts you right underneath. But basically a giant dead star dominates the top of the landscape. And that's what we've been trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a neutron star, basically. Yeah. yeah. And Medion mocks us that there's no further way to go. There's nothing else to return. But as you sit there remembering everyone's like all the voices, everything you've heard over the last, let's say, few weeks, everything of the expansion. You put a memory crystal to your chest and you summon Emmett Selk and Hithlidaeus. Yes. <laughs> the guy say Emmett Selk is very surly about this because yes. because once he once he died, like their soul, they mentioned that memory magics would fade. So he's deeply annoyed that he looks like a clown because of everything he forgot that happened in Elpis. Like he he has to like realize, oh shit, this weird uh Azem familiar or whatever it was was completely right. Yep. Well, it's not even that. Like I said, he didn't remember that character being there. It's like, I bid them to remember, but I forgot. Yep. <laughs> and so like with what what it all ends up amounting to is Emmett Cell provides the uh necessary Ether to keep everything in place so that we can call our friends back. The two of them, the guys are like, look, we can't do much, but creation's our power. You can forge a new link. Think of what proves that's wrong, proves that despair is not the only thing that holds there. Mm-hmm. They tell us that, hey, actually, this space is actually dominated by hope right now. Mm-hmm. But not even can that. Summon- well, no, it is that because well, the no, idea- it, no, it's not that it's that the, the magics that are in place will that 
hold everything in place will allow us to summon our friends back now that they no longer need because well, no the because, the, because the, they summon a, they summon a field of, of the Elpis blooms and they're every color yeah and th- like that's it's what not I mean, just the, despair it's not that's dominated by hope it's that everything is here yeah oh, God, well, despair that, life what, grief love everything is here and it's not just your domain mm-hmm. yeah that's that's exactly why I mean it's dominated by uh it's not dominated by despair. It's dominated by other other emotions and especially the hope for you to 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 win. Mm-hmm. And so you can't. So actually now you can resummon your allies mm-hmm. and it's safe for you to do so. Yep. Because we've reached Median, at least part of her, at least one of her. Like, I think this is she, implied to be the original Median here. The, the receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, the same piano song that played back from that moment from it with the uh garleans it plays Hope, here yeah it hopeful dynamis right yeah or is it yes. just called dynamis i forget i see i've heard both names i'm not quite clear uh, in any case and, like yeah, as she and, falls like and she th- thinks of hermes mm-hmm. she begs us to stop their song yeah, and, yeah. The, and the black star breaks open yeah and emmett selk uh at the at the end before emmett selk and hithidius disappear basically says besides you can't uh stop here if you really are a zem there's so many things you haven't seen yet you at least need to see x y and z giving us basically tie-ins for future expansions <laughs> while winking at the camera and then he burns through half of them with the uh patch cycle <laughs> Which, by the way, is fucking the same thing they've done with Ed Walker all along. Holy shit. Yes, I love it. It's so good. Like, uh, well, I'll talk about my full thoughts about this later. Um, Let's talk about the dead ends. Yeah. Yep. So we we summon the rest back because the world is now held together by this new creation and by Median's weakened uh, despair. So the the rest of the media are just like, okay, fine. I'm going to show you the worst worlds that I encountered. (laughs) Yep. Remember how Amrot was such a intense final dungeon? What what is the only way Ann Walker can end things? But with three Amaroths in a yeah. row. <laughs> yep. Like Media narrates the like the once where was a star, the star of of Grebulon, the people who came from the sea to conquer. She doesn't say the names of the worlds, but no, there were the people from the sea conquered the land only to be destroyed by disease in the new land. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we bow through this place of twisted, broken monstrosities like ravaged by disease and madness we we see the the beings basically get turned into like suffering horrors that are uh various monsters it's very much like the blasphemies and stuff like that the sky is red there are strange giant spore things floating in the air the Mm -hmm. the land is toxic yeah and so uh after we get through uh through the grebulon uh we we find a world that solved the problem of disease. They they did not fall to that same thing. They, but they solved they, they solved they solved the problem of disease. They like the, the implementation so is like, like a people who solve disease only to only to fall like to kill more of the of themselves in war and squabbling. Mm. Even though they were able to solve the problem of disease, they weren't able to solve the problem of conflict. And here we have like like the first world I've heard described as the first like a world where where disease or madness is from everything this is the world of garlemond where conquest has led there's an l there (sighs) there's an l there jared (laughs) where the fact that you can never force people to be part of one community has led to endless war Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and like i i remember like the at the very end of it there's this guy who shoots a nuke and destroys all everyone on the planet and he says i did it i killed everyone i 
killed everyone. It wasn't killed everyone on the planet. It was it was he killed all the all the all the enemies. And, you know, there's a he shoots the missiles and you see like the blowing up in the sins. And it's like I did it. I killed them all. I killed them all. And then it's like I killed killed them all. all. Because those enemies were everywhere because he did destroy everything with it. Yeah. And by the way, uh, something he was pointed out to me once. If you like pull yourself back through a dungeon, like if you wipe your run back through, most of the other NPCs you can see, he's gone. That last global mm. citizen is ne- is never to be seen again after that line. Wow. Yeah. So, and so, um, and then so we get to the final zone, a peaceful, idyllic looking world with golden trees and yellow yellow lands. They solved the problem of conflict. They solved all the problems. It is a world with no problems. At all, star with none. A, a star without strife, or none remembered life's trials or its or, joys. And like that thought wrecks my mind so much. <laughs> yeah. And so they summon a god to give them peace, which means to kill them all. Yeah, literally. Like it is. Yep. It is the uh, unsundered world in its most likely outcome. <laughs> if they were, the, yeah, if they had made their star perfect. They would have nothing left to do. <laughs> Yeah, they basically uh, at the very end, there's a narration where where it says they created the most gentle of beasts. They created the kindest, most gentle of beasts. Its steps were light and its gift was as painless as it was beautiful. Bathed in its golden glow, they all slept happily ever after. God. Yeah. Roloff and fucks me up. This narration is through the fight where we're fighting this giant reptilian sphinx monster with a with a pacifistic wise face. Yeah. yeah. Like, my gosh, like talk about a dungeon that just like sums up what the game is trying to say and beats you over the head with it. Yeah. And if you want to get the rare minion, the starbird, you have to do this dungeon over and over again. <laughs> you solve disease then war will take you. You solve war, then perhaps it'll be disease. You solve everything. Well, then you'll have nothing left to hope for. And that's what all life leads to. That is what the media are. The me, the media are arguing. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so at the, so the end problem is, okay, can you solve all the problems? No, but that isn't that what life is about is surviving through the problems. By the way, when we get through this Medion is horrified that we haven't broken. Yeah. Yeah. The voices within me writhe in your presence. It's like, what must I do? We send our friends away because they cannot handle this thing. Because media, all the media, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Media, like, media, media. I, I keep want to say media. That's just weird. They've combined uh, into a, well, into a Final Fantasy boss. They've combined into a giant piece of a mono artwork. <laughs> yeah, like a huge, like a huge doll-like face, massive wings and a limited body underneath in a cloak of darkness. Yep. This is the end singer. And it is not Zeromus, which is what I thought we were doing. <laughs> and basically, it wipes the fucking floor with everyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The end singer is essentially uh, is essentially analogous to Zeromus, but with despair instead of hatred. Yep. Um, and like, it's interestingly, like there's one medium that's just des- like, has turned back to blue, desperately just des- like saying, stop hurting yourself to the end singer. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so after we send our friends away, which is going to piss them off good. Yep. We're alone. And coming hammering through the wall of the this little like space time bubble we're in. The unlooked for ally. <laughs> it's Xenos. He has turned himself to Shinryu again. <laughs> is, isn't this isn't that after the battle? No, no. You have no. to the, mm. the battle is 
you well, find on Shinryu's back. Oh, yeah. You find on Shinryu's back. Oh, yeah. You're riding Z, you're riding Zidos during the fight, which just seems about right somehow. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Um, but like I said, like media, because the end singer mocked us like you sent your friends away, but that robbed you of your strength. You've been bragging about. Yeah. But instead. Yeah. And so Zidos comes bashing in through the wall. He's just like, I found you here at the end of the universe. Are you ready to fight me now? Wait, no, you're that thing's still over there. Why haven't you Why? killed it yet? <laughs> yes. no, and even like you said, like, I've been trying to figure out what you mean to me. I have a guess. So I went to talk to girls like, can I eat the rest of your god? And he <laughs> ate the rest of the mother crystal and become the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he doesn't even ask to fight first. So he's like, oh, I see you still have prey. Why does it still live? Yeah. You're yeah. better than despair, right? Yeah. Surely, surely something as trifling as despair can't stop you. And I'm just like, bro, this, my bro. This is Zenos' final form, and it's the one I can actually like. Oh my gosh, it's so good. He's still a bit of a monster and probably not someone you'd want around day-to-day life, but the fact that he's kind of reached this strange, respectful rival and not playing his his villainous games for, he's like, look, this is a distraction. I'll help you get rid of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so we su- and so we use the crystal of Azem to summon a bunch of friends while we're riding Xenos and we fight Ensinger, and it is the coolest final boss fight in any Final Fantasy game. Oh yeah. Like first we're fighting through a whole bunch of other boss themes. It is a medley of all the previous final boss themes. Uh yeah. which joyfully means that we're hearing the big fat tacos meme. Yep. yep. Um and <laughs> so the whole idea of this thing is you're fighting through all the things that have caused her torment. Like she will rewind tragedies and hit them again just to like play through it. It's like she'll, she'll smash plants together. I wonder if that's something she's seen. Yeah. yeah. So much of it is just like that. And then like you have to do a tank limit break to survive her chaos dunk, as I like to like call a, it. Like a massive, like a massive super, like a super massive celestial body that just explodes like a Nova in your face. Yeah. yeah. And she rewinds it. And, well, no, she's like, after you tank LB, she's just like dynamis. Huh? Yeah. 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 She, she, so like, yeah, she literally, uh, uh, explains, uh, that limit breaks are the power of dynamis. Mm -hmm. It's like, and so like dynamis, while it's like normally overpowered by ether, it's still like reacts to the human spirit is the impression I get from it. And because there's more of it, if it, if it, if it concentrates, it becomes something beyond belief. Yep, yeah. and that, and the only way you can concentrate it is by having a lot of people that can attune to it come together and work together. Metaphor. <laughs> yeah, when there's four of us, we only can manage two levels. Yeah. Yep. It gets stronger when there's more people together. But Get, then, so, but then it, the end singer says, "Screw it!" Rewinds the massive explosions. I'm just going to hit you again. Yep. <laughs> and we don't have tank LB anymore. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Resist with all your mights, and you can't do any. Like your most players will wildly attack her. So that's all that's left. And then the countdown ends and everything goes black. And then fucking uh, the guitar kicks back in and the scions are praying and bringing you back to power. <laughs> yeah, like, like a light in the darkness shines and then they all call out. They are praying in the exact same poses as back during end of an air. And like you said, the guitar has gone to another level. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an amazing bit. I love it. It's so much fun. But the game is not done after this fight. <laughs> Well, I want to say a little bit more of the rest of the fight. Like, yeah. as I said, like um, you get several buffs from the friends talking. The background changes. Light energy appears all around the end singer and starts pushing her darkness into one point. And all she can do is flail wildly and blast, like just send out large blasts. Yep. Mm. 
so well your well your attack has gone up yeah the overall thesis here is that is that the ancients could not have beaten this enemy no matter how hard they tried yeah and it's so said as much like our methods would never have taken us this far he even he even his always irritation he compliments Vana. yeah it's just like mm. we couldn't have done this we we did not we were too similar to each other we thought too similarly <laughs> After we win, it's kind of like I, I kind of slapped my forehead. I was like, this is the bluebird of happiness. Of course, it's the fucking bluebird of happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's not, well, it's also bluebird of friendliness because, you know, they might be giants. Eh, I don't eh. know what that means. Bluebird of friendliness. <laughs> well, so the whole idea of the uh, bluebird of happiness is the person goes off in search of uh, happiness only to find out that it is back home. Is th- That's the point of it. If Hermes had actually like talk to more people in his world about his problems. Maybe he could have changed things for them for the better. Hermes sadly had a sort of victim complex where he could only imagine that he was different from all others. So he withdrew from them. Yeah, exactly. For all his real, for all his real concerns, he never found a way to talk about it. Maybe if he could have talked to Vana, it wouldn't have happened because Vana actually had a very similar outlook. She didn't want to uh, pass away yeah. after she stopped being a Zem. Yep. If he if he had talked to Vana before he sent media out into space, things might have been better. But that's not what happened. <laughs> the peer research joke is funny, but I understand why you got fed up with this. Like you, your experiment was badly made. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. People will sometimes do shit. That's what people are. People mm-hmm. make mistakes. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty funny joke. So when people took it seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like it. It's intent, it's willfully misreading the story if you take that joke seriously. Is all I'm you saying. Ruined a perfectly good bird. Look at it. You gave it depression. Yep. <laughs> so on that, and so then, like we're stuck in basically an empty void, and the only person here now is Xenos. And well, he has. You're not uh, going to mention like based on all the moments of media at the end because we actually. Well, I was saying we finally we said, reach her. Oh, yeah, Xenos passes out. Yeah. yeah. We we no we reach her before we reach her before Xenos shows up. Well, we, like, like what happens is Zeno, like the dragon falls from back to Zeno. So he hits the ground. We kind of hit the ground, too, and make the media. We don't see Zeno again until he comes back. Yep. Anyway, but yeah, we talked to media we with her empathic ability. She feels our hurts. Yep. And she's just like, you. OK, so you can still survive. Maybe there is an answer after all. <laughs> she talks about how what she was looking for was there all along. Yep. Blue yeah, she, she, That's what I'm saying. Regretting her actions during that blue, she's obviously one last song. Perhaps life will return to the world. It turns from a black void into like a sunrise over over a blue expanse. Yeah, she accepts that while there might not be the answer, that every living thing is capable of providing an answer, an answer. for themselves. Yep. After all, miracles happen every day, and she hopes that Hermes will see it and smile. Mm. She says she'll open a path back to the ship for us, and she leaves. But then Zeno comes up and he's just like, hold on, I have I just have one thing I want to say. He goes through this big speech about like what he needs to do everything to fight you. And like, it's like you're a hero. I mean, I can't deny that as a thing. And so but still, would you hear me? I have one thing to offer and one thing to suggest. And he basically makes the argument that there's another reason beyond just being a hero that you do things. And that's because you enjoy doing it. You push yourself against the hardest options possible. You like to you like to do savage raiding. Yeah. Hmm. And like and like I right before this, I had found myself saying, oh, boy, I can't wait to fight Unsinger in extreme. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you're like, ah, damn it. 
And so I was just like, as Zenos goes through the speech and we get to this line, so he says, is this not so adventurer? And mm-hmm. I just go and I just go, did I just get fucking called out by Zenos Viator Galvez? <laughs> <laughs> and you're given choices to ask. You could say that you refuse to accept it. You could say that you're going to put him down because it's too much of a risk. But to me, neither of those are the right choice. Same. I, I like there was no question of what choice that I was going to do. Like, is that not what your goal adventurer? Yeah. And Matt, you were the same, right? Yeah, I was the same. Let's yeah. all say it together, shall we? That, that I, can't I can't deny. deny. And again, what somebody read is like you have a unique smirk expression when you give it. <laughs> yeah. All of these choices lead to fighting him. Yeah. Finally, now you are not distracted with the with the end of the universe. You're stuck out here with him. And finally, it's the right time to fight. Acceptance at last. <laughs> and like, and the and the full end Walker theme kicks in at the guitar point, much like the uh, theme against End Singer. But the whole song is playing. The one last thing I want to say about this, like, it's a really fun fight. It's like the best sol- solo duty. It's so cool. Um, now, so- now, whenever I throw something at somebody who's not uh, uh, suspecting it, I instead of saying "think fast," I say "assess of your reflexes." Yes, but so I do want to point out one thing that I noticed on my replay of the game. Go ahead. That I also brought up in the last Final Fantasy XIV mini log. At the end of Stormblood, with Xenos, there is a choice where you can tell him you accept him or you deny him. And as you recall, and as you recall, I said if you accept him, he says "fuck you, you do you don't." You don't believe it. Not yet. And so now, now, like this is the inversion of that moment. And like, I'm like, this makes me love Stormblood more, (laughs) even more than I did before. (laughs) It's so good. Like a lot of people dump on Xenos as a villain, but I think he's actually a really interesting reflection of your character. He's a no, he's a reflection of the player, not the character. Well, that too. Yes. Like, yeah. So, yeah, we, we fight him. He we take his health bar down the way. He gets back up. You have re, like a several buffs for revives to represent your friend's hope. The fight just gets more intense as it goes. He's using an insane amount of Shinryu's techniques. He's like flailing around giant reaper strikes. You can't do even if you're a reaper. But eventually it just comes down to a fist fight in an empty void. Grand Lagoon expansion. <laughs> like, you know, like in a last clash and one of those button mashing quick time events, both your weapons knocked away and the fight begins. Yeah, like and I'm a wild fellow. This looks fucking hilarious. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. It's so much fun. Um, and so then after you beat him, I, it's implied that his prayers summon another teleporter to let you go back to your friends. Mm-hmm. It's is there some debate over it? But like I choose to believe that interpretation. That's the one that makes the most sense to me. It's just like he's just like, fuck, I wish I could have been better. Bye. Yep. <laughs> It's like it's all Zeno's like saying it's like, I don't know if I ever enjoyed life. This is the only meaning. Mm. What's your thoughts? But he seems to die before he get, we give an answer. Mm-hmm. His entire arc was basically him just trying to find some kind of meaning out of his life that he felt was completely empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we apparently very near to death. We get teleported back and apparently we just dropped our body in front of our friends. So. But uh, we go home. The world is saved. Final Fantasy 14 has ended its first story arc. (laughs) Yeah, it's in all the traditional ways. The the Final Fantasy March opens. Our ship flies over multiple landscapes and people waving to us. It's very traditional. Let's talk about the post game for where we've been in 
and Walker because we're still in the middle of it. But <laughs> basically, we decided that Final Fantasy um, four didn't quite get all its story out. So we're back to it. Yeah, um, we go to the void because, well, so let's talk about uh, Vitra and his sister, Azdaya. Azdaya. Yeah. Azdaya. Yeah. Basically, uh, Vitra is the youngest. He didn't know Megar Somer. Azdaya basically raised him. So he sees and, her as sister and a parental figure. But during the war between Merisidia and Alag, Azdaya went to the void, which the Alag had made a portal to. Yeah, she dove through a gigantic tear in, in, into the void in order to protect, like, basically to fight the army to keep it from coming out. Mm-hmm. And we learn about this because we because Astinian finds us a treasure map and we go into the go to explore the bounty, which is one of the things that itself hinted at us. Astinian <laughs> found a treasure map from an obvious con artist. For once, Astinian, who's terrible with money, did it deliberately because he knew it was also helping pay for kids. Mm-hmm. And then we then we find the the actual treasure. But it turns out this is richest stuff that we're stealing. <laughs> And Beatrice is like, yeah, "Yeah, I had the I let those treasure maps go out because I want to just like I I don't want these treasure hunters messing things up. But you broke my dungeon, damn it. I was like him saying that at that point before I guess I was like, look, it's going to be really expensive to replace all the stuff you broke. As soon as you could also happily. We missed a few things. I made sure to break them. (laughs) Yep. By the way, I love that we brought Ishtola with us and we can blame her for this. She just I wasn't going to touch that, but you know, he's told and we just get a we get like a, a crash zoom of her glaring at us. You and I, you and I will talk later. It turns out that that the the actual thing that this dungeon was hiding was a little alchemical portal to the void. Like a, a, a natural tear never closed. So it was sealed by the by the alchemists. Yep. And also treasury is going to use to help the people suffering yeah. Raza and in, in uh, Ratzalhan. I can never say it right. Ratzalhan. Ratzalhan. OK. Um, and so we and we end up t- joining Vitra on a quest to find his sister now that we're able to go into the void. Like we have a method of handling the void now. If Maul's making a giant monster mouth. <laughs> yep. Yep. So it also embarrasses each toll's uh, childhood summons. Yep. <laughs> and inside there, uh, a few things happen. So we go through Troya, which is this ancient castle named after a zone in Final Fantasy IV. And at the end of it, uh, the owner of that domain is killed and eaten by Scarmelion, one of the four elemental archfiends in Final Fantasy IV. Which we had had hints of them showing up. Like we had entered the void briefly and we saw like the four elements, fiends of sword and a great giant man in black armor speaking of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I, I will say that uh, that the four elemental fiends have a really cool version of the battle two theme from Final Fantasy four, which well, has just that. the ones just the ones that are at the end of the dungeon. Yes, yeah. um, just so a what, really sick saxophone that totally fucks. What? Yeah. <laughs> so Scarmiglione, like we 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 beat him. But since it's Scarmiglione, he comes right back. Well, he comes back in a bit. Uh, mm. I mean, yeah, he's not dead. He's still spying on us as we go and explore yeah. Troya. Then we meet John's new shipping target. We find the void scent that was hanging out with Xenos when he was. Well, that was for, not hanging out with. That was forced to be uh, bound to Xenos while he was a Reaper. Yeah, it was because that's how Reapers were as a Reaper. For some reason, the Empire, even though they can't use magic, is able to make packs with void scent and do vo- and do crazy void stuff. Well, that's Eat. not magic. It's just selling your soul. <laughs> yeah, it's totally easy to do that and not magic at all. Uh, but uh, thanks to our crystal of light that was left behind by Hydlin, uh 
we are able to use it to restore the true form to the voice end, and we discover Zero. Uh, well, she doesn't have a name, but Yashula names you her give Zero. Her a name. Yashula names her Zero. And I just got to go, damn it, Yashula, why did you name her that? She has a uh, a really cool aesthetic that's kind of like a goth red mage, but black and uh, like midnight blue black instead I'm gonna go of with, red. I'm going to go with Vampire Hunter D, especially because of the Amato influence. And the hat. Uh, yeah. And John immediately decides that this is his character's new girlfriend. Oh, yeah. 100 <laughs> percent. This is the first NPC that I've actually shipped with my character. <laughs> Partly because I love the idea of, hey, wait, maybe if it turns into zero miss, that's a nice little bit of a tragic angle angle. Well, so we we find out in rapid order that in the void, things don't stay dead. Yeah. Everything because- like ether is the coin of the realm. But there are also where people could turn turn fiends into crystals. Uh, yeah, memorials. Yep. Th- but uh, things don't stay dead because of that whole thing where, you know, uh, light is represents stasis yeah. and uh, darkness represents movement and activity. But also yeah. So, life. Yeah. Yeah. And life. So so essentially even and and it's not even done if a void scent gets devoured by another void scent, because if the void scent that did that ate the first one gets killed, all of that ether kind of gets uh, spread back out unless it's consumed again mm-hmm. and they will eventually reincarnate. And so that's why you need to throw them into uh, these little memoria crystals. Because either because it's either uh, it's either a greater voice that consumes and they become part of it or. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it turns out that the world fell to darkness because of this war called the Contra Memoria. I don't know all the details off the top of my head because it's very recent in my memory. I've only encountered it once. It's been a little bit uh, vague. It doesn't seem like they talk about what the Contra Memoria was actually about. Well, other than these people. It was basically the world was falling to chaos. There were both fiends to fight and people that were going mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, While we're in Zero's domain, we end up being invaded by another domain. It's the domain of Barbaricia, <laughs> the Wind Arch Fiend. Who decided to really go all in on the hair thing this time. So I'm going to say right now. When I learned that the Archfiends were going to be trials, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of a letdown after the last trials that we had, which were freaking Zodiac and Heidelin and Ensinger. Barbarisha earns it. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically she, her her entire domain is controlled with hair. She then used like a hair power up to become a fist fighting version. Yeah, like um, they what they do with the four fiends from Final Fantasy four. I love they like mm. Like, these were boss designs that were interesting back in the day, but now feel kind of dated if they just, like, did that. So they make every single one of them way more interesting and give them a new thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I I especially like all of them because I really like the four fiends from before. Yeah. They did so, some cool stuff, yeah. though. Barbarich's hair stuff is gross. <laughs> I mean, I understand reacting to that. I just really like it as a uh, unique signifier. And, and a, She's also that. got the most interesting arena of all the... Yeah boss fight so far um but anyway yeah so we find out without a doubt that they are serving the the black knight golbez mm-hmm. and golbez appears to have captured asdaya and is using her ether to power up his servants like she's in a giant like ball and they, they feed on it and they change from generic art fiends into these arch fiends now mm-hmm. uh, so then we fight then kegnazo um we, we, we go so we go to uh, Lapis Manalis and Garlemald to try and learn a little bit about the how the Empire binds 
we, we figure there must be some kind of passage through the void in there because the that's where the Empire Reapers would go and find Void Scent to uh, make pacts with. Yeah. So, and, now, and during that, then Cagnazzo, the Water Fiend, actually invades Garamald. Yeah, uh, mm. Well, he just pops out right in that dungeon. Uh, we, he doesn't yeah. really go and invade Garamald. He did send an army, though, because remember that yeah. zero helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after we fight Cagnazzo, it turns out that the entire Void attacking in Garamald was a big distraction so that Rubicante could go and destroy the portal uh, in Babner. Well, shit. Yep, we can't go back there now. Uh oh. Well, Rubicante luckily is still willing to tell us what's going on because he's still his honorable sort. Yeah. And they, he explains how the whole plan is everyone wants to die, so they need to go to the source to do it. Yep. So their goal is to just make a big enough hole for everyone on their planet to come to us and just like where they can go to die because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're tired of being stuck in this uh, endless cycle of just like perpetual life. It, but the funny, th- is, funny thing is, they say, well, we can kind of see that you're going to cause a interdimensional super war and that's going to kill everyone. Yeah, that's a problem. We probably shouldn't allow this to happen. It's going to be a calamity if it does. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Quite literally. Um, so, oh, yeah. So now we have to find our way back to the void. <laughs> and so as of the most recent patch, Yastola comes up with a way for, for us to use Zodiac's cradle to open up a path on the moon. And we find ourselves on the moon in the first yeah, so we yeah, so we dumped ourselves through freaking Zodiac's ether to the moon of the first where Golbez has apparently set up his own giant ether farm. After we fight Golbez, uh, it's quite, kind of unclear why he decides just to fight us rather than doing what he does afterwards. But um, this is, by the way, he is he has taken as Daya. She actually was keeping her uncorrupted by ether. So we released her and she immediately turns into the black dragon. Mm-hmm. It's this the weird coiled shadow dragon. After we beat him, he gets smaller, first of all, which is kind of funny. Mm. <laughs> just like deflates. It's one piece r- rules for size of people. And he throws his dia into the big pool of ether that he's been building up. And then that becomes Zeromus. Zeromus is how he pronounced it, I keep saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zeromus. Sorry. Well, he actually names it Zeromus. Well, he guess it's the name of a great mm. hero of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We don't know all the details. We can probably speculate a bit. Uh, you just see it's just a face and giant hands sticking out of a huge cloud of blackness. Yep. Like Zero tries to seal it with her memorite powers. It can't she can't get through the ether. So nothing works. And we retreat. And that's where we've been left hanging. We're probably going to go back to there, go through the lunar subterranean as a dungeon and fight Zero misses the next trial. And they already said what we're going to do is we're going to get equal light to face the darkness. So we're going to be messing with the first. I just want to point out, though, the structure of these uh, uh, patches, because I found it to be pretty damn funny. So 6.1 was a start of a new adventure. It maps to a realm we're born. We learn about a council of people who have used the power of a dragon to become superpowered. It maps to Heavensward. Uh, 6.3, we kind of did a lot of stuff in Garlemald. It will map to Stormblood just because, I don't know. Also, well, you say that it's, it's about invasions and about defending yeah. people who are who are struggling because we're protecting yeah. the refugees of Garlemald. True. Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll find a way through it. Yeah. Six point, and so 6.4 maps to Shadowbringers, both in terms of just like how we travel to another world in new and interesting ways. About ether corruption. And because the first is going to be involved now. And we watched and we watched the intelligent being turned into a monster by ether corruption. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're doing it again, guys. <laughs> I will say also that the the main theme for the Endwalker trailer footfalls also follows that pattern as well, oh, yeah. which is just amazing oh, yeah. because it's 
because it has its it's a medley of a lot of songs. But part after the beginning, it starts out do, uh, doing a uh, Heaven's Word theme with uh, a choir of dragons. In Favner. The 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 choir actually is singing a song from from Heaven's Word, but they changed the lyrics to reflect the new state of the status quo and the healing relationship with Ishgar. Well, no, it's all, it's also going to be a reflection of Favner at that point is the thing. Yeah, it's showing mm-hmm. Favner. And then Stormblood, we're showing we're showing Garlemald. And the lyrics of Stormblood also change. <laughs> yeah. And it's so and then and then like uh after some other songs switch in, we do get a really brief Shadowbringers as we as we look at as as actually as we look as all Shadowian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's a very brief hint, just like saying, hey, guess what? There's going to be a little bit of that there, but we're not going to show it to you here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I then they and then they go into uh, and Walker's own uh, light motifs and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Yep. It's good. It's really good. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the other side content real quick. Uh, I don't want to talk about all the beast tribes because all the beast tribes, most of them are fine. We just going to talk about the one, (laughs) the Omicron beast tribe, the gathering beast tribe that we got is the best size story this game has ever told. Basically, (laughs) because because Ultima Thule is now even without Medion, everything that's happened has made it a permanent existence or something we believe. And the different races still existed, the ones that were summoned. One of the Oprits gets the idea after like interacting with the Omicrons to open a bar. So yep. Let's make yeah. the cafe at the end of the universe. Yep. Yep. And I do love and I do love the Hitchhiker's Guide references. It's full of Hitchhiker's Guide references, but also it is basically bringing hope to all the Dynamis recreated races in Ultima Thule. Like mm. teaching the teaching the Grebulon that even if their planet was destroyed by disease, they could find a new one. The global community mm. and the rebels learned that they could still work towards a new goal. Um, even the AIA are convinced that they maybe that sensations they lost could be something to bring them joy again. Mm-hmm. The dragons and the Omicrons come to peace. The dragons find hope again. The Omicrons find purpose. And even the plenty, the uh, the the who are so darkly nihilistic that they actually try to convince others that there's no hope are convinced that maybe your conclusion is wrong and you can look for a new one at the very end. It is mm-hmm. like I have never cried so hard at a side story in this game. <laughs> and of course, it hits you with the with the hopeful dynamis. Ab- absolutely. 100 percent. It's dirty pool at this point. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so we also have the raid story, which is pandemonium. The most toxic relationship in history and its possible consequences due to what? the fucking heart of Sabik being important again. <laughs> yeah. Please give it back, Claudian. You are not allowed to have that. <laughs> <laughs> right back, Claudian. Claudian is not allowed to have any big fat tacos. Unfortunately, yeah, he, he has it. Has it? Yeah, damn it. Why do you have so uh, pandemonium? We go back in time again because we need to wrap up that little thing about the fact that we we got a, we got a weird there. crystal that told us stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, you hear that there's a something happening in pandemonium, which is where they put all the really dangerous creatures that they don't destroy for some reason. Yeah. So basically, we're, uh, the warrior of light is like, wait, I know how to go there. I can still just kind of teleport there. I'll go check it in the ancients time. Mm-hmm. Well, and so in there we get to basically it tells us the story of why Laha Brea turned out the way he is. The answer is bad relationships, but also just not great choices. Like, and let's be clear, he is a bit of an asshole even yeah. before he got completely mind warped. But, yeah, but it's but also kind of clear that the, he was warped by the heart of Sabik as well. 
What is that thing? Why is it there? <laughs> and why did we let this one why did we let this one researcher keep it? So uh, let's talk about the heart of a beak really quick and what they've implied about it so far, because it's kind of important. <laughs> it was the power source of the Ultima weapon, but also the source of the magic Ultima. And then they started talking during the Evilist. No, during the Evilist yeah, uh, Evilist raid that's connected to these boss from Final Fantasy Tactics Ultima to High Seraph. And Ultima is apparently a being that's like connected to it in some way. Uh, and th- it seems to be implied that they're from the same general source. And she's from behind beyond the stars as well. And it was ancient, the heart, yeah. even in the ancients time. Yes. And it was influencing Athena, uh, La Brea's wife, girlfriend, something. Wife and, wor- and worst Research mother problem. I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, she's taking the word from her Rosa. We can't make that reference yet. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. At least Rosa has yeah, at least Rosa has a sense of guilt. I'll yeah. just say after that, the hard speak, it's just basically it's some sort of black magic site or a site thing. Yeah. And no one should have it, especially since apparently just mind fucks you by holding it after some yep. time. Which is probably the real reason why La, La Habrea was like it's the one state of, that he was. In. It's yeah. one of four reasons. Well, yeah, La, La Habrea basically said uh, said that he got corrupted by talking to Athena too much. <laughs> four reasons. His general personality, his wife's general behavior. The whole corruption thing by like um, having to expel and reabsorb his negative parts and then the heart. So at least four reasons. Yeah. Um, but one of those are things we can deal with, and that's the hardest to be. Please give it back, Claudian. <laughs> so then then we also we have to spend time hanging out with gods and they're huge trolls in fights. Yep. So in Mists of the Realm, we find out that the 12 uh, actually exist and seem to exist in the uh, in Mordona. But also in a sort of pocket dimension. Yeah. They pretend they're going to destroy the world for all 10 minutes. Then we fight him and say, yeah, just kidding. We just want to fight. Yeah. yeah we, we just we just want to fight you specifically. Yeah. And and they're huge trolls in the first set with all their sucker mechanics. Um, And so the big thing that's important about them is they it is heavily implied that they are various people that were part of the Nas faction. Uh, even like, um, what is it? Alphic and Alphic and Nemea. Sure, I'll think is is time. I think I thought Thaliak was. I don't know. Thaliak is knowledge. Yeah, I'll think is space and time, and the Mia is. I can't remember. And and they and they might be people we met at Elpis. Or they are. It's pretty clear. Weird dialogue, but there's also an unnamed thirteen. It, well, oh, I want to make it very clear. It is not just like vaguely implied. It is pretty textually implied with the fact that the monsters that they create for for you are the same monsters that you end up kind of like going through the creation process of in Elpis in one of the side stories there. That is pretty explicitly yeah. them. And the 13th we think is the, is the watcher, the helpful shade up on the moon. Mm-hmm. And also we and, have a friend with us. Who's probably one of the 12 and that is yeah. denying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no one's buying it. You're totally like, it's either him or Not the Opo Opo. It's, it's either <laughs> it's, Derek or the Opo Opo. And I'm Derek I'm, or his pet monkey monster. What do you like? <laughs> eh, whatever. That's enough of that. Um, and so that is everything that we've considered doing. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, yeah. Final Fantasy 14 is very big. I love talking about it. As if you it's amazing tell. how much. Yeah. I feel like each each with each expansion, we double the amount of time we used on it. Yeah. Because yeah. it gets deep. It gets denser and denser each time. I love it. This game is great. You should play it. So with that, also, we've reached the end of the first series that we wanted to do. Woohoo! I can't believe we got this far. Honestly, like I, I'm, 
I'm surprised that we were able to stick with it this much. I mean, in the I release so episodes, fun, so. we just passed we just passed a year in released episodes. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And we haven't missed a week, and I'm happy about that. Good job with the editing, John. Thank you. Yeah. I've been having a lot of fun with it. We're gonna take a bit of a break though, because we have to plan the next series out a lot. And we all I need to do more of my reread. I'm still only in the middle of the second episode of our uh next series. Um, but when we come and we're back, I don't know how long the break will be, but when we do join us for the hype episode for when they cry. Come, will you play the game with us? Yes. <laughs> the difficulty is quite high. <laughs> we're not going to do the hype now. We're not going to do the hype now, Matt. Yeah, I'm just saying that that John got me into it and I'm I'm very glad that he did. That's all I will say. I'm afraid Sean doesn't regret that he first got me into that first anime. <laughs> I don't regret it because eventually it still led to me getting into Umineko through Vision Novel through you convincing me that the visual novel was better than the anime. I was <laughs> right. So and you were right. <laughs> yeah, I remember how much the anime did kind of really throw around. But until then, I'm Jared. I'm John. And I'm Matt. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlog dialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. This is some post stuff that we just wanted to do for fun. It's going in anecdotes. It's, this is so welcome to the uh, post scene. I had some stupid ideas. I wanted to do a few Zeno speeches with Mickey. And, and then I thought it'd be funny that MX saw because how serious a word he is to try with my Pete voice, which is my only good Disney one. Uh, Matt really didn't feel it. So we'll, we'll be able to focus. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm also going to try and do Sora as Arbert. <laughs> so here's a few Zeno speeches with Mickey Mouse. Would you be happier had I a good reason? If my motives met with your approval, would you no longer resent the outcome? If so, then perhaps a beast's skin would suit you better. Duty, honor, morality, all constructs of convenience when put to proof. Surely the war taught you how easily power becomes the tool of the self-righteous, how the people's justice was merely a means to their ends. Yet you would ask me why. Ask any creature of this star and those above for answers, and they will tell you what suits their fancy. And they would be right to do so. What meaning there is to be found in the petty vicissitudes of your existence must be gleaned by you and you alone. Should you seek it in battle, in the fruitless pursuit of my demise, then come, assume your rightful place as a notch on my keyblade. <laughs> See you real soon. Man should fight for the joy of it, to live, to eat, to breed. Lesser be snap and howl at another for this. Only man has the wisdom and the clarity to embrace violence for its own sake. For we who are born into this merciless, meaningless world have but one candle of life. I feel like burn. if Disney would come after us for anything, it would be having Mickey doing these monster lines. <laughs> <laughs> the gods themselves will be my meal, your dear companions my dessert. Upon this world I'll feast, and death shall follow in my wake. All your hate, all your rage, you will render unto me. <laughs> and now finally the last oh, speech yeah. that I love the so one much. we were so happy about
You mean to return to the world where you were hailed as a hero. Hear me then, not as a hero, but as simply you. As I learned in Alamigo, you are a formidable foe, stronger than any I have faced. Against you, I need bring my all to bear. I need burn through the candle of my life. This is the sole pleasure I know, and is the sole pleasure I have to share. And so I come before you, to issue challenge and offer singular bliss. If you wish to walk away, I will not stop you. You value life. You do not burn yours, save for reasons you deem worthy. Reasons such as those which brought you here. The salvation of a world and its people. The motives of a hero true. But there is more to you than that. You know this to be true. As surely as you know the thrill of pushing your body and soul to their limits. Of confronting ever mightier foes. Dancing ever closer to the precipice. Wondering if this will be the one to finally, finally fill the void. Such pleasures you seek for their own sake and for no other reason. Is this not so, adventurer? Yeah, that I can't deny, Bob. Doc. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that I can't deny, Doc. It just seems right. Yeah, 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 that I can't deny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That I can't deny. (laughs) Oh, Christ. I thought I saw I can't deny. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're messed up. So I, I said, and I just feel That's like Pete's so voice will be really fun for these end lines. <clears throat> Go for it. Even now, after everything, you refuse to see reason. You think it unfair that you are subject to suffering? That your lives will be sacrificed for the ancients? Look at me. I have lived a thousand, thousand of your lifetimes. I have broken bread with you, fought with you, grown ill, grown old. Sired children, and yes, welcome to sweet embrace. For eons, I have measured your worth and found you wanting. Too weak and feeble minded service stewards of any star. Boy, that is way differently coming from Pete. <laughs> yeah, that's a, he's kind of fun to emote with because he has only a couple of emotions. So here I am, Vada. I suppose you need to be the tide altogether, these frayed threads of our history. But knowing you, I suspect there's a joke in it, too. Oh, yes, I can imagine you gloating over my forgetfulness. Were I feeling charitable, I might assume you left room for this possibility of this outcome. Even so, you'll get no applause from me. A single gesture will not lighten the burden I had to bear. (laughs) Excellent. Very good. And finally, I just kind of want to do Sora's Arbert because Arbert, the warrior of light who had too much light. Hopefully Sora's world will never have that uh, mechanic. That might be a problem. Yeah. At long last, you see, to save our world, we gave our lives. We were just adventurers trying to make our way. An odd job here, a favor there. We never aspired to be warriors of light. But word of our deeds spread and soon people were calling us heroes. They placed their hopes and dreams on our shoulders and bid us fight for all that was good and right. We fought, and we fought, and we fought, until there was no one left to fight. We won, and our world is being erased from existence. We did everything right, everything that was asked of us, and still, still it came to this. You of all people should understand. We cannot, we will not falter. We brought our world to the brink of destruction, and now we must save it. 
By the way, uh, to- Shadowbringers is totally the Kingdom Hearts expansion, people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are these that means they're nobodies? Nobodies have white have white uh, aesthetics. Yep. yep. So, also, the, also, the blasphemies are totally heartless. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Oh, I don't know, but I just, I can't wait to see how long this episode ends up being. Just so you know, good luck. It's gonna be long. It's oh, gonna yeah. be long. That was well, fun. Was... <laughs> beep 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 beep. <laughs> and, and only oh, I got Wiley Coyote holding up a sign with a line. Yes, Wiley Coyote up a sign. This is that I can't deny. <laughs> I don't want you to try to do Sylvester's list, so <laughs> that I can't deny. <laughs> Suffering fuckatash. That I can't deny. Not enough asses to really push it, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the problem. And remember, no one wants to do Pepe Le Pew. He is, he is not to uh, exist. 